warning, pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 367. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It's, it's a trap. Could it toss it? Could it take it? Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. You're listening to Pop Culture Leftovers, one of the lowest ranking podcasts in the world. world. We heard your demand for timestamps and we chose to ignore you, just like your high school years. You'll see Jake with a tramp stamp before we start using timestamps. Sexy tramp stamp Jake. What we're trying to say is, we don't do timestamps, and we never fucking will. I just said the F word. So stop asking, you red bastard cunts. Cunts. <laughs> Welcome to the Timestamp Free Zone. This is Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're and the we're leftovers. leftovers. Yeah, come on, Jake, get on it. Yeah. You're, you're a little you're a little slow there. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was fast. No, I'm you know, I'm the one that's tired this week too. It's fucked up. I shouldn't have laid I laid back down and I watched WandaVision again. And then I got I got all sleepy time bri bri. Ooh, right before the recording. Right before the recording. I feel all sleepy time right now. This is the moments where I wish I did cocaine. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I've I've definitely taken a nap right before we do the podcast, and it's like a good half an hour, like, coming to my senses. Yeah, I just need a good bump right now. I've never even done cocaine. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, we are not alone. We are not alone. I, our next guest does a, a fuck ton of cocaine. I, that's all. <laughs> it's a tease, just a little tease. You know, you, you know. And all of our listeners know who it's going to be now. They know who the big fucking cocaine drug addict is. So they're like, oh, we already know. Yeah, that was easy. What a what a giveaway. What a giveaway. We thought you were going to give us a little hint, but yeah, we know who the fucking coked out, addled, fucking guest is going to be. It's Joe Stark. Welcome, you cokehead. Hey guys, I'm really happy to be here. I, you know, it's, it's always really exciting when you have me on. And, um, you know, I, I took up a bunch of notes, a lot of notes. Really, really, really excited to be here. Oh my God. I thought that was uh, the dude for the Micro Machines commercial. <laughs> I thought, you know that motherfucker. That was Coke. That was all Coke. 
Him and the guy who thought him up. They're fucking trucks, but they're really tiny, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, man. <laughs> oh, man. Joe, excited to have you. I'm excited to be here, man. Do I even plug StarCast anymore? What do I do? I, I've been releasing episodes again. I know. I <laughs> <laughs> I just I like I like to give you shit every time you're on here. <laughs> now I've been on the ball lately. There you go. <laughs> and we don't have any iTunes reviews this week. We got some, but they were like those silent ones where people just click the like the five star or the four star or the three star, or more likely the one star. And uh, they didn't leave Some any. lazy ass shit. Yeah, they didn't write any written reviews. And if they did write written reviews, they're not popping up yet. So, uh, but uh, yeah, good news is, Jake, we're 90. We are 90 reviews away from hitting 1,000. Wow. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's our average. Pretty good still. 4.5. I'll 4.5. One, I'd say one out of 10 people hate the fucking show. <laughs> I like them odds. <laughs> One out of ten people. Absolutely. And I would even go on to say that I'd say that most of those ones out of ten despise me, and that's the reason they left. <laughs> it means you're doing something right. Dude, I'm a fucking I am a I am an am I an I'm definitely an acquired taste. I'm like coffee or liquor. <laughs> or 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 eating pussy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. That like that seemed like like when you were a kid, that seemed like so foreign. Like, whoa, whoa, they do what with it now? <laughs> now I'm all about it. Now I'm all about it. But back then I looked at it like it was coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you grow older and you understand. I was like, ride my face like it's a carousel pony. Oh, I know. oh man. <laughs> Now I'm all about it. Ah, oh, no iTunes reviews. <laughs> no, no iTunes reviews. So thank you everybody for the love there. Uh, I did want to thank, I did want to thank, uh, Kyle Borowski. Kyle Borowski, dude, you, you're too good to us. You gotta stop. He keeps sending us donations, Jake. He's gotta stop, man. This guy, I'm telling you, he's fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyle. That was really appreciated. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that'll go towards uh, us renting movies and stuff like that, and we really, really super appreciate it, dude. So thank you so much. Uh, I did get a couple gifts. I'm going to open those now before I get too drunk by the end of the podcast, and I forget. Um, got uh, the first one here from Brooke Doherty, so I'm going rip, to rip it open right now. She fucking... What'd you get? What'd you get? I don't know, dude. Yeah, it'll be one of those things where I open it up and she's like, don't open this up on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, what do we got here? Yeah, I know. It's fucking audio and you can't see it. You guys are already annoyed. Get over it. We can hear the joy of unwrapping happening. Uh, Let's see here. Oh my God. This is the coolest fuck. I got to take a picture of this. She, she made. She like handmade this and she framed it. I got I, I don't even know how she did this. She like sewed the words onto like this piece of fabric. It's a, it's 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 an iTunes review. So we did get an iTunes review this week. It's an iTunes review that she fucking took a piece of fabric and sewed these words on there and it says at the top pop culture leftovers reviews and underneath it it shows she literally did. It looks like an iTunes review. It has the title, the stars, and then the quote. And it says, adolescent audio corruption. 
It's a one star, and it goes on to say pervasive cynicism with a malevolent under, undercurrent of anger at failing at life. And it's like <laughs> this is that's a real iTunes review that we got. Oh my god! I can't. This is awesome. I can't not that's wait. Gorgeous. I'm hanging this on the wall. Thank you so much, Brooke. That is awesome. That's from. That's uh, she sent. She put her little business card in here from Fleur de Lou. So yeah, you can follow her. She makes this kind of shit, people. Uh, go to www.fleurdelou.com, fleurdelou.com. Check out Brooke's fucking store and shit. I think she's probably on Etsy and all that stuff as well. And a lot of cool shit you can get on Etsy. But thank you so fucking much, Brooke. That is awesome. I love that. That's that's a lot of thought and care. And I love it. So thank you so much. I cannot wait to put that on the wall. Oh, my God. I'm going to get that away from my cat so he doesn't walk on it and break it. Because he's fucking walking around on the goddamn table like he owns the fucking place. (laughs) <laughs> How you doing, Hee Hee? That's awesome. It is cool. I got another one here from Nate Ria. And I Nate wanted to know my address. And at first I thought it was because he's one of the one of the ten people that fucking hate me and he was gonna come out here and strangle me. <laughs> but then he told me it's because he wanted to send me and you something, Jake, so that's what he did, and that is what I'm currently struggling with opening right now. Damn, you must have wrapped that shit tight. Oh, man. Ah, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pause for the cause. Hold on. All right, we're back. Uh, it's got a little post-it note here. Thank you guys for all the hard work you put in to make long drives and tough days better. Hope you enjoy. And this comes from Nate. And, God damn it, I'm still fucking with this thing. I feel like those, I feel, I honestly, I feel like those fucking firemen trying to get that baby out of the well in the early 90s. Little baby Jessica. <laughs> Jesus. Forgot about that story. That's been a while. 30 fucking years. Very topical, isn't it, Jake? <laughs> yeah. We're on the, on the pulse. I know. Of news. Jesus. Alright, what do we got here? Oh, he sent us some comic books here. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, number one. I never read these. These are from Archie Comics, and I loved the new Archie Comics. Kelly Thompson wrote this one. Uh, the Incredible, The Immortal Hulk. Wow, that's an awesome cover. Okay. A book here from Black Caravan Comics, Ashcan. Uh, Joe Schmalk's We Don't Kill Spiders. You heard about this one, Joe? No, I haven't heard of that one. I haven't either. I'm gonna have to check these out. Uh, Death Knights, Death Metal, Infinite Hour Extreme. It looks like it's got, it looks like Lobo on the front. Or no, that's, that's fucking Doomsday. What am I talking about? Okay. And then Gwenum versus Carnage, number one. Variant edition. Wow, he went all fancy with this shit. The fancy variant edition. Nice little stack of books there. That's awesome. I got one more. Taskmaster number one. They made a Taskmaster comic here. It looks pretty recent, actually. So thank you. probably wanted to tie it in with Black Widow. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, Jake, you tell me which ones you want, and I'll hook you up, dude. Nice. That sounds awesome. Thank you, Nate. I love it, man. That's fucking awesome. Ugh. Ugh. All right. How you guys doing? You okay. Yeah. How you guys doing? Good. <laughs> yeah, so descriptive, nice there, Jake. Day. 
So descriptive. I can't wait to read your memoirs. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> oh, it's the follow-up to his book, Fine. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel's way more uplifting. Oh, man. Mm. Oh, also want to wish a uh, happy birthday to uh, Elliot of the band Volk. She turns 30 tomorrow. So uh, that'll be today. When you're listening to this episode, so happy birthday, fucking! I, to turn thirty again, Jake. Oh yeah, I, it was scary then, but I would pray for it now. <laughs> right? Agreed. I was so worried about turning thirty, and then forty crept around that corner like an evil fucking bitch. <laughs> I don't know. What to... <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Those are good descriptors. I, I know. I know. Jake, I I'm... just turned 40 in October. I'm still wrapping my head around it. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It sucked, dude. It sucks. I, I don't know. It, it, I'm just, I, I'm falling apart with every year. I'm taking supplement upon supplement to try to fucking, I, I just don't heal like I used to when I was younger. It's, I, I mean, I remember being back in the day and playing sports and shit, spraying my ankle. And then a week later, I'm out running around on the goddamn thing again. If I sprain my ankle now, you might have to put me out the pasture. I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. You might have to, like, old school fucking just take a shotgun to my fucking head like a horse that broke his leg. And just, <laughs> I, I might never come back from it. Oh, man, the old yeller treatment. Yes. I've been so freaked out of slipping and falling now because I just have this like in, this feeling that if I slip and fall now, you're going to get hurt because you're over 40 now and you can't be slipping and falling on ice. Oh, I know. I'm such a puss about ice now. <laughs> <I'm> a, <laughs> I used to just walk around reckless abandon. And now I'm like, all, I'm walking around like this dainty little puss hole worried about ice and shit. I get it, Joe. Oh, Getting old sucks. I hear you. I used to just fucking run on that shit down the driveway. But, oh, man, now you hit your elbow and the shit hurts for the next three years. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucking true. All of our younger listeners are like, what the fuck? Don't worry. It's coming for you. It's, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming for you. It's right around the corner. Right around the corner. Uh, lots of pain. Here it comes. Yeah. Lots of pain. That's what I don't get is, like, these fucking... These like uh, Super Bowls tomorrow, and that Tom Brady's like, what? He's like been playing in the NFL for twenty fucking years. How? How? How in the fuck? What is this? Who was his father? Zeus? I mean, <laughs> I'm serious. It's like, what the fuck? You know, is that, I'm not. I don't follow sports that much as far as like football's concerned. But Jesus Christ, you got to give it up to this guy. Fucking ten Super Bowls in twenty years, and he's in his forties. Is he 43? How old is this guy? Oh, I'm not sure. Let me look at yeah. Tom Brady. I think he is in his 40s, though. I think that's correct. You all correct, sir. I think he is, man. I don't know. Yeah, but you also got to think he's got a lot of money, so he can probably do lots of, like, regenerative-type treatments and stuff, like getting your blood pulled out, having them, oh, yeah. you know, spin platelets out of it, and then you know, condense it and yeah. shoot it back into your, or maybe even like go to Mexico and get, you know, stem cells put right into problem areas. Kobe was doing that fucking, that blood platelet bullshit. Yeah. Wow. 43. 43, man. He's the same age as I am. 
That's insane. Look at me, man. I'm scared to fucking walk on ice. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone play 20 fucking seasons of football. No shit. This guy, he's more human than human. He's insane. He's a, he's a demigod. Now we're now we're gonna we're gonna get a one star review for praising a guy because somebody the hates Brady haters. Yeah, the, I hate Brady. <laughs> Fuck this pocket, dude. I don't know nothing about him. If he wins tomorrow or loses tomorrow, it doesn't mean dick to me. I don't give a fuck. I'm just talking about it's pretty incredible. This guy's in fucking the Super Bowl. You know, ah, fuck it. Give me the one star. I don't give a fuck. I'm done with you. Anyway, I just had I just <laughs> read a one star from a Brady fucking hater. It happens though. It happens. People are so fucking uh, fickle with shit sometimes with these fucking iTunes reviews. <laughs> Sorry. You mispronounced this actor's name. One star. I know. Or they'll give me a five star and tell me the correct pronunciation. It's fucked up. They just got to get little shit in, little digs all the time. Little shit that fucking annoys them. They got to let me know about it. Jesus Christ. You get the email. I don't want to be that guy, but yeah, yeah, you are. Any email that starts with "I don't want to be that guy," you're that guy. Yeah. Or I don't want to be nitpicky, and then they yeah. know they're going to damn well be nitpicky. Yeah. Speaking of things I got wrong, here is a song. I'm going to tell you what I thought the lyric read when I first heard this song many, many years ago. It's uh, "Credence." Clearwater Revival, Bad Moon Rising. Here we go. I saw, I thought for years, he says, there's a bad moon on the rise. For years, I thought he said, there's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> yeah, bathroom on the right. That's a po popular misheard lyric. Dude, I, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't. Other people heard that shit too. I had no idea. I just thought yeah, that I'm this really guy sure, on man. the uh, Wayne's World top five misheard lyric sketch. Even I don't even. I don't remember this. I don't remember this. It, it's just for years. <laughs> I thought that's what he said, and I was thinking like he's talking about this bad moon rising. He's talking about I've seen earthquakes. I've seen all this shit. But for your convenience, over there to your right is a is a restroom. There's the John. <laughs> <laughs> At least one good thing comes out of this terrible. I know, life. I know. I, I can see, I can see you do the PP dance over there. Don't worry, the song's about over. There's a bathroom on the right. There you go. Have at it. <laughs> Very hard to tell if they're legitimately dancing or PP dancing, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a good song. You don't know. I love how you want to pee after you hear Creedence sing. Uh, Have you ever heard the rain? Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Then it's like I don't even. There's a there's a bathroom in your pants apparently because you just pissed them, buddy. <laughs> if they're on the same album, like for sure, bathroom on the right's got to proceed. Have you ever seen the rain? <laughs> One of the dumbest yeah. sitcom. We were talking about like the pee pee dance. If that was in a sitcom, that would turn into a dance. Like if you're watching like Happy Days and somebody did that, then everybody'd be like, "Oh, look what Tommy's doing," and then they all start joining in and like. It that was like they a said on an episode of Teen Titans Go. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. What the pee pee dance? Yes. <laughs> Apparently, I am the most unoriginal fuck this episode because everything I'm throwing out there is like. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking the one that I remember is the Saved by the Bell episode where 
Lisa sprained her foot and when she was young and so it healed in a week, of course. But if it was me, I'd be fucking dealing with that shit forever. But anyway, she sprained her foot. She had a dance partner for a dance contest and he fucking, he kicked her to the curb. And so Screech came in there like, uh, like, uh, you know, like a knight in shining armor. And he's like, I'll be your partner. And they did a dance called the sprain and, uh, they're just hopping around and she's on her crutches and she's hopping around and Casey Kasem showed up to the max. And you guys remember that one? I remember this episode. Yeah. What a hero <laughs> speech that was one. that episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll talk about Dustin Diamond later. I got something that kind of ties in with that. All right, guys. I don't know. Any cute banter? I ain't got cute shit other than that fucking bathroom song. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got no cute shit. <laughs> no, I'll carry on, man. There's a bathroom on the right. All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with good pop, bad pop. Let me tell you something, brother. You should head over to popcultureleftovers.com and use the Amazon shopping link for all your shopping needs. Ooh, yeah. The cream of the crop always rise to the top, dig it? Speaking of cream, you can probably buy it on Amazon. Not 100% sure. Yeah, to all my little Hulkamaniacs, say your prayers, take your vitamins, and you will never go wrong, brother. And listen, dude, you can buy those vitamins through the Amazon shopping link on popcultureleftovers.com. Ooh, yeah. I just bought a neon orange cowboy hat and a curtain of Slim Jims. Snap into a Slim Jim. Head on over to popcultureleftovers.com now and use the link. Because what you going to do, brother? When pop culture leftovers runs wild on you. All right, hey, we are back. It is now time for good pop, bad pop. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop, bad pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. A Tupperware party, gentlemen. <laughs> I am Robert Leach, and this is the lifestyles of the rich and Tupperwares. What the fuck? <laughs> Didn't he say, like, I'm Robert Leach and you're not? Wasn't that his thing? I think so, yeah. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> oh, all my friends are dead. This dropped on Netflix. This is a uh, Polish film, I believe. And this is the second original Polish movie on Netflix. Don't ask, don't ask me what the first is. All right. <laughs> Look it up yourself. You've got fingers and a fucking brain. Look it up. I don't know. All right. Uh, during the New Year's Eve party, uh, a bunch of friends, a series of crazy events bring out secrets, break hearts, and leads to a shocking ending. This movie feels basically like, what if Stifler's house party ended with no one losing their virginity, but instead everyone murdered each other? Just an added dash of Final Destination. So, um, 
It's directed by John Belkel. And uh, I want to know what you guys thought about All My Friends Are Dead. I'm going to start with Jake. Uh, Jake, I'll start with you. I know you watch this. Yeah, I did watch it. I'm going to give this a solid taste it. Um, it was definitely a fun watch, and I had a pretty decent time with it. Um, I thought this movie could have been elevated by going straight to the party and not necessarily knowing how everything was going to end up after the party. I thought the whole opening segment with the detectives was a little bit redundant and almost detracted from my enjoyment of what later was to happen. It it just kind of foreshadowed too many of the actual murders and deaths and bad circumstances that the, the foul play was just on display and I don't know. I just thought it would have been a, a little bit better just to have all that be much more shocking than it was because of that preamble. I disagree with you, sir. I may not have watched this entire movie had it not been for that reveal at the beginning. It made me want to, like, how in the fuck did this happen? Look at the debauchery and murder that went on here. What the fuck happened here? I can't wait. I like this a lot more than when you're watching a movie and all the movies do this where they show you this fucking this uh, thing that happens like this girl fucking uh, she's at the top of a building and then she jumps off and then it says one day earlier. And then, you know, I, I hate that shit. This for some reason, though, as much as I hate that kind of shit, this kind of worked for me where we got to see like. These detectives show up to this party and there's all these dead bodies of these, uh, you know, uh, young adults. How old are they? I can't tell anymore with people. Probably like in their late mid twenties, mid twenties. Yeah. And so, they, yeah, I, it, it really made me kind of like interested to see like how all this kind of played out. Um, I won't get my rating yet. I want to hear what Joe has to say. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I, I really enjoy dark comedies. Um, I have a really fucked up sense of humor and I can completely shut my empathy <laughs> off at times when I watch movies and, and just enjoy it for what it is. And that's definitely what I did in this movie. There is lots of, um, uh, lots of cackling <laughs> coming from my bedroom when I was watching this, just because some of the deaths in it were just so, so over the top funny. And, you know, I, I hadn't really given much thought to that beginning scene. Until you brought up your issue with it, Jake. And and I, I do definitely dislike that in a lot of movies, but it didn't bother me too much in this one. Um, and, and it did set up a bit of a, an expectation where throughout the whole movie, I'm kind of, you know, I didn't, I feel like if I were to go through and watch the movie again, I might get more out of that opening scene because I might actually recognize some of the faces of the, you know, the people that are dead or recognize how they died and stuff. But um I guess just not too much of that stuck in my brain throughout the movie. I mean, I knew for sure, you know, what was going to happen to the pizza guy and stuff. But otherwise, everybody kind of looked the same to me. Um, but this was um, – I, I had a bigger problem with the the part that was tacked on at the end than, than that. That kind of detracted <laughs> a little bit for me. Um, this This movie was – like it was on track to be a Tupperware for me. Like when 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 the how to say this lightly so you guys will get it. But no, when, at the very end of the movie, when that person trips and bumps their head, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them to roll the credits after that. Yeah, yes, so oh, so good. Because then I would have had that same ending as like very bad things. 
where like usually I hate a movie that leaves me feeling icky, but if it made me laugh along the way, <laughs> okay. And very bad things made me feel very icky, but it was so fucked up along the way that I couldn't help but like it. Yeah. And that that same thing worked for me with this movie, and I have mixed feelings on what they did at the end because is. It's kind of a, a, I can see how it's a nice bow in one way, but it detracted from, you know, the dark comedy of it. But, yeah. you know, but I, I mean, I, I guess I've more seen this described as like a horror comedy. So totally, maybe yeah. that's me calling it a dark comedy and, 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 you know, kind of casting that light on it when really that's not a hundred percent accurate to what this film is. But for me, this is a high taste. It. I'm also going to give it a high taste that, um, I, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed watching all of this play out. You know, we got the, it all kind of starts off and ends <laughs> just insane with like, well, you got the astrological hippy dippy girl that's in the relationship with the wannabe, you know, rapper guy and she's not happy with <laughs> that. And so she hooks up with some guy at the party that's like into her and, uh, they're having sex and, uh, and he's uh going to town on her on this desk and she's holding a gun for some <laughs> reason and it's fucking loaded she's like turned on like you would not think that this like you know this astrological girl would be like holding something so violent and getting turned on by something so fucked up and as she orgasms she shoots the gun and ends up killing a guy that's behind the door and that's where everything kind of like sets off. And it's just like this crazy, like mouse trap chain of events of basically everyone dying in this party. I thought like the Mormon guy, you know, like struggling <laughs> with religion and, and sex with those two girls was kind of funny. And, uh, yeah, seeing Jesus was hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I, I had a lot of fun. I really had a lot of fun with this movie. I didn't think, you know, like when I saw it was going to be a Polish movie, I was worried about like the dub and I thought the dub was fine. I thought that, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought this was, uh, I thought this was a really fun movie. This Overall. movie's got a lo- little bit of everything, too. I mean, like, who- who'd have thought we'd get a movie with a golden shower in it? <laughs> yeah, that was shocking. Oh, my God. <laughs> when she fucking, when she is talking to him, when she is talking to him about, like, the biggest problem in their relationship, and she's <laughs> like, I want something to stimulate my pussy. I don't want to be in a relationship with one. I was like... <laughs> Oh my god, I can't believe she just said that. That has got to be the most emasculating thing to ever hear. <laughs> and they make it a point to see like the crowd of people there listening to it too. So. Oh, I know. It was so bad. But man, he goes back in there like he's fucking uh Jack Nicholson in The Shining and then <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I dug it, man. It's uh I dug it, man. It's a high taste for me. Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's called All My Friends Are Dead. And uh I thought it was an enjoyable watch. I thought it was fun. They do some stuff in this movie. These these uh Polish people do stuff in this movie, man, that they're not doing over here anymore. This is like a lost <laughs> art in the, in the United States, man. They don't make movies like that over here anymore. Like, we had them. We had them. It was called, like, American Pie and, you know, Fast Times and shit. But we don't we don't make movies like that anymore, man. 
No, it did very much feel like kind of a throwback to that kind of like sexy comedy. Yeah, yeah. Earwig and the Witch. This uh, dropped in theaters on the 3rd and then on the 5th. You can watch it now on HBO Max. Growing up in an orphanage in the British countryside, Earwig has no idea that her mother had magical powers. Her life changes dramatically when a strange couple takes her in, and she is forced to live with a selfish witch. At the, as the headstrong young girl sets out to uncover the secrets of her new guardians, she discovers a world of spells and potions and a mysterious song that may be the key to finding the family she always wanted. It's directed by Goro Miyazaki. He's the son of Hayao Miyazaki from Ghibli. This is a Ghibli film. It's their first 3D animated CGI fucking movie. And uh, the English language version features the voices of Richard E. Grant, Casey Musgraves, and Dan Stevens. And uh yeah, it's a it's a Ghibli movie. I was really looking forward to this one. I got my Jake, I got my tickets were in the theater were fifteen bucks and I had ten dollars in AMC credit, so I got to see this one for five bucks in the theater. And yeah, fuck yeah. I'm glad that I did because I fucking hated it. It is fucking terrible. I tossed the fuck out of Earwig and the Witch. This was fucking horrendous. This is the worst Ghibli film I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I liked it a bit more than you, but it was just a middle of the road taste it for me. Um, it was just kind of a frustrating movie. Like I, I enjoyed it while it was on, but the second it ended, I just had more questions than I should have had, and not in a fun way. Like it felt like this movie just meandered around and never got to that plot that you just described as the plot of the movie. So I, I thought that was really frustrating. I, I thought the animation was was decent enough. I thought it had some really interesting shot composition stuff going on that I'd never seen in other CGI movies, like the when they're going up the spiral staircase that was doing something that I'd never quite seen in another animated movie where it was actually tracking the character going up the stairs. And some of that stuff was really neat. The character design was pretty cool. But uh, the plot just really frustrated me for most of this movie. And the ending left me really unsatisfied. Fuck this movie. This movie was trash. Oh, my God. Earwig and the Witch. Oh, my God. This was, I thought it was just terrible. Like, I kept waiting for it to, like, like, like this is a Ghibli Studios film. I was, like, waiting for it to get good. And, like, like there were times where, like, I was, like, okay, okay, we're getting there. We're getting it. But nothing was answered. And most of the time, we're just watching this girl, like, go around this fucking house and, like, collect shit and make spells that really, like, what were these spells doing? The worms were dumb. I don't I, I really have not a lot of good things to say about this one. I can't. Oh, I. it was so frustrating. This movie was so, I thank God I only paid five bucks to see this because I, I hated it. It was, and when it ended, I was just like, Fuck you. The, the guy, the, the guy that there's uh, only other, there were three more people in the theater with me and they were sitting two rows in front of me. And after it ended, I was like, let me see their reaction. And the guy threw his hands up in the air and I was like, dude, that is me right now. I get it. Fuck this movie. I wa almost wanted to flip off the screen. It was that bad. It was so bad. <laughs> oh, man. I thought the song that they focused on so much was, was a really terrible song, too. 
Mm. And like they never really told you the meaning of it, even though it seemed like it had some. There was just so many. There was way more questions and answers in this movie, and it was very, very frustrating. Oh, I hated it. I hated it. I don't even want to break it down and tell people what happened in it and like all this other little bullshit because it was just so. It was trash. I cannot believe this movie is as bad as it was. Have you seen the rating on Rotten Tomatoes, Jake? No, I haven't. It's rotten. Oh wow. Yeah, I think it was a, like uh, was it a twenty seven percent last time I saw it? Let me find out here. Earwig, what a dumb fucking name. <laughs> Erica Wig, Earwig, and the it's at a thirty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience scores at a seventy eight percent. So yeah, fewer than fifty ratings though from the audience. The audience is being generous because this movie is trash in my opinion. Yeah, I couldn't help but compare the main character Earwig to Mimi, the main character from Psycho Gorman last week, and how, like, in some ways they're the same character, but this version is so much more unlikable and not fun compared to just the nonstop charm that came from Mimi mm. in Psycho Gorman, you know? I, I, in no way did I ever compare this to anything Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman is a masterpiece. Just the character descriptions of of the two leads. No, I, I can't. I can't even do that right now. Right now, you're, I'm almost going to vomit. <laughs> I'm fighting back the urge to vomit right now, Jake. I get you. I get you. <laughs> I saw our friend. Um, I, I, Joe, you didn't get. You didn't watch this one, did you? No, no. I watched the trailer and like I was a fucking mess at the end of the trailer and I was like maybe don't watch this one you probably wouldn't be able to talk about it oh my god okay I'm going to first off I'm going to let everybody know I'm going to talk about it a little bit here but I am going to be recording an episode with the real Zodiac tomorrow and we're going to be basically really unpacking this uh, this movie on that episode that's the main focus of that episode actually um, you can watch it in the theater and, or you can watch it on video on demand um, after receiving life altering news a couple finds unexpected support from their best friend who puts his own life on hold and moves into their family home, bringing an impact much greater and more profound than anyone could have imagined. And, um, it, you know, it, it's about, you know, a couple and, and they end up having kids and, and, um, they've got a, a friend, this guy, Dane, played by Jason Segal. And, um, she, the, the woman uh, in this, um, played by Dakota Johnson, has a terminal illness and she's going to die. And um, this is based on a true story. And it is, it was like someone said Casey Affleck could not star in a movie more depressing than Manchester by the Sea. And Casey Affleck was like, hold my beer. And he fucking made this movie. And <laughs> it's directed by Gabriella Cowperthwaite from a screenplay by Brad Inglesby, um, Jason Segal, Dakota Johnson, and Casey Affleck star. And uh, it jumps all around. It's it, into different points in their relationship and then also different points with their friend uh, Dane. He's uh, – and there's – oh, God. It – I cried so much during this movie, guys. You you have no idea how sad 
this movie is. There are twists in it, like they, um, but man, it, I, the way that it depicts, um, like her final days and, and, um, and, and the way it depicts like what, what Casey Affleck is going through, um, watching her fade away the way that it depicts like their friend Dane, who really he's like, he's like living in his parents' basement. He's been working the same job for years. Everybody just thinks like, he's just like, you know, he hasn't done anything with himself, but like the impact that he has on this family, helping to take care of everyone um, in the family, the two girls taking them to school, uh, taking them to different events and stuff like that. The way that, he just kind of like removes himself from his own life and he's got his own relationship and the way that he really kind of like steps up as a friend, like big time, big time. And, um, but he's going through his own things and the, uh, Gwendolyn Christie shows up in this for a, for a split second and she's fantastic in this movie. Um, there's a scene that Joe, I think there's a scene that you would have loved in this one. And I know that this would have been a Joe scene. You would have fucking loved this one. There's a guy in the movie. His name's Aaron and he's the boyfriend of one of their friends and he's such a dick. He's just like a fucking asshole. Um, and he's always talking shit about Dane behind his back. And Dane used to have feelings for Aaron's girlfriend and even though she chose Aaron, Aaron still kind of like has these digs at Dane all the time. He's got a, you know, they have like a dinner together and he's saying shit about Dane behind Dane's back. And, and he's talking shit about Dane to Casey Affleck, uh, his character of Matthew. And this is after Dane has been helping the family with the mother going through all the treatments and stuff like that. He's been helping with the girls, groceries, housework, all this stuff. And Casey Affleck tells Aaron the only reason that he tolerates him is because he's the boyfriend of their friend. And like, Aaron's like, I'll let that slide, bro, because I know you're going through a lot. And Matthew says, wrong, I'm letting it slide. Let me know when you and your girlfriend break up so I can drive to your house and punch you in the face. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my, and fucking Aaron is just like standing there like, oh my God, just standing there like a little bitch. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, this movie like affected me so much. I couldn't watch the whole thing in one sitting. I had to watch it. I had to break it up into three different parts. I had to walk away from it because it's so emotional and um i've never seen a movie kind of like tackle um this in in a way that just felt so real um there's a scene where like casey affleck's character has to tell the girls that their mom is gonna die and it's just it's heart-wrenching it's fucking heart-wrenching um, I think all of our three leads here did a fantastic job in this movie. Casey Affleck, Dakota Johnson, and Jason Segal. And um, I Tupperware this movie. I think it is... Um, if you can get through it, if you can get through it, man, it is a... It's a tearjerker. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I can understand why you didn't watch this one, Joe. 
yeah, like I was saying, man, I was I was a wreck just from the trailer. And 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 I was like, I'm gonna try and do it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> this is I mean, you know, it, it's it's not my genre. I, I can appreciate when when there's writers and actors that are good enough out there to to put together something that'll pull on your heartstrings that well. That's that's just a dragon I never chase. Uh, I purposely don't chase. <laughs> I I get it, man. I get it. It's uh What was that movie? What was that movie with Michael Keaton? Was it called My Life? When he's dying of cancer and he's, I think it's him and is it Nicole Kidman? Mm, that one's not ringing a bell for me. And it's uh, it's uh somebody look it up. I think it's I'm looking it up. Him and Nicole Kidman and he's dying of cancer and like they ha- they have She's pregnant, and he's going to die before the baby's born. And they know that it's going to be a boy, and he starts recording all these different videos for, like, when his son, for all these, like, monumental moments in his son's life. Or just little things, like, like, like dad's going to teach you to shave for the first time. All these different videos he makes for his son. It is, it, oh, God, that one is heart-wrenching as well. Yes, my life. Him and Nicole Kidman, Queen Latifah's in it too. It's so good. It is so good. If you've never seen My Life, I highly recommend it. It is. Oh, it's so good. It's it's another it's another tearjerker. That movie came out in the nineties. I remember seeing that. I haven't seen it in years, but my God, it's it's still kind of like, you know, sits with me today as one of those movies that just kind of like breaks my heart. But uh, yeah, that's our friend. And you can see it in the theaters. You can also rent it on VOD. I think it's twenty bucks right now. So it is. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, did you get a chance to see Malcolm and Marie on Netflix? Yes, Malcolm, yep. Malcolm uh, and Marie. It's a black and white romantic drama film written and directed by Sam Levinson. Sam Levinson of uh, the film Assassination Nation, which our listeners know I love that movie and they should also know that I love his TV series on HBO uh, Euphoria. Uh, this film stars John David Washington and Zendaya who both also produced as the title characters who play a director and his girlfriend whose relationship is tested on the night of his latest film's premiere. Zendaya also stars in Euphoria. So Sam Levinson working with her again in this movie. The project was first, uh, was the first Hollywood feature to be entirely written, financed, and produced during the COVID-19 pandemic with filming taking place in secret in June and July of 2020. Um, Zendaya kind of tweeted about like how, like, personal this movie was and how small the production was she says we made this as a family shot it in 14 days with a 22 person crew i am eternally grateful for for their talent their time their hard work and their willingness to believe in this film if there's anything to learn from this year and i hope from our little movie it's gratitude for every moment and every person we get to love to stop and acknowledge the people in our lives who make it possible to do the work we do and honestly, make life worth living. It comes in many forms, and sometimes it's just the thank you. And uh, she's referring to the movie there, and she's also referring to she's referring to the movie itself, and also to the making of this movie, which I think is very it's a very it's a very powerful tweet <laughs> as far as tweets go. Um, at the time, 
Sam Levinson and Zendaya were both involved in the HBO show Euphoria, which had stopped production due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the two discussed the possibility and idea of making a feature film project during the pandemic. Levinson pitched several projects to Zendaya, including a a psychological thriller they would film at her home. He then began to come up with a, quote, a relationship piece that plays out in real time. And that's what we got in this movie. John David Washington joined the project after Levinson read 10 pages of dialogue to Washington over the phone saying, I couldn't believe it. It was beautiful words I heard. And at the same time, very disturbing with visceral confrontations. Um, so, Joe... This is, what is it, it's like a little over an hour and a half. It's black and white, and it only features these two actors. Only these two actors, and it's all dialogue. Did you get kind of like a, I kept thinking like this, it felt a lot like a lot of um, Quentin Tarantino dialogue, but without like a lot of like the action sizzle that he has in his movies. I don't know if you pick that up or if that's just me. Yeah, just like the the realistic dialogue that's like the really, really long cuts. Yeah. You know, lots of back and forth with the characters. Yeah, I can see where you're picking that up. What did you think about Malcolm and Marie? You can get into a little bit of the plot as well if you want. Okay, sure. Um, So this movie, I watched the trailer for it, and I like like Zendaya. Um, Is that how you pronounce it? Zendaya? It's Zendaya. I had a listener piss and moan about it once no actually a couple times i had a fucking listener stop listening to our show we had a listener jake that stopped listening to our show because the way i pronounce zendaya some of the fucking dumbest shit i've ever fucking heard no shit it's and i think it's zendaya okay um so i um i watched the majority of euphoria i think i still have like the last three episodes to get through but from what i saw i really liked and i thought she was just brilliant in it so good and so i was pretty excited to see this um i i liked when it when when the trailer started i thought it was all in black and white i was like oh that's a really cool like i like that artistic choice and um i read an interview in esquire the the morning before i watched it and that interview like clinched it for me where I was like, I've got to see this movie. Um, just after hearing Sam Levinson talk about it. Have you and, seen, and have you seen Assassination Nation? No, I made a note to watch that after it was brought up in it because I'm pretty sure I remember you guys talking about it and saying it was pretty good. I watched it in the theater. I loved it. It's fucking incredible. And then, uh, I think it, it might still be on Hulu. I know it was on Hulu for a while. Nice. Yeah, I plan on checking that out now. Um, but yeah, I, I read this interview with the with the director, and it got me really hyped to watch the movie. And when I watched it, like, I, I loved this movie. This is not generally something that that I would seek out. It's it's definitely not like a a, a genre that that you know is like my jam or anything. But the the actors just killed it in this. Like, I totally believed that they were this couple. It was bickering back and forth, and there's like enough toxicity in their relationship to where it's like these poor fuckers just don't know how to have a fight without just twisting the knife and just being absolutely horrible and like adding more shit to the mix that now you have to resolve before it's like it's like you're it all comes to to dog shit. And in the midst of cleaning up dog shit, there's just more shit piling in. Well, it all comes to a head when like he 
premieres his movie and people, you know, it, it receives like this, I don't know if it's a standing ovation, but people are raving about this movie and they come back and she's very dismissive and quiet and she's making him macaroni and cheese and it comes out and they finally have it out with one another. He's like, what is going on with you? And she's like, you thanked everyone in your speech about this movie except for me. And we're finding out like what kind of like what what hand she has played in his life and why she deserves a thank you while he's giving this speech. And um dude, it <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, I mean she has like she definitely has a very reasonable gripe and it could just so easily be solved by just the guy setting his ego aside and just listening to her, seeing her and validating her and apologizing. Right. But these characters just can't do that. And and that's that's such a human thing. Like it immediately put me It's it our pride. Put me back it's our in pride. high school. What's that? Sometimes it's just like like our pride. You know what I mean? That gets well, in absolutely. the way. Yeah. Um but like I had it, I remember I had a, two very good friends in high school that were dating. And when they were on good terms, it was great. But when they were on bad terms, it was terrible to be around. Like, terrible, scary, scary level of fighting. And, like, it reminded me that of, of this. Like, I, I, it, like, brought echoes of my own past. Like, I've, I've never been the type of person that, you know, says mean, hurtful, like, intentionally mean, hurtful shit like that during fights. And, and so to, to see these people do that in this movie, Oh, it's, it's like, it's like you're watching it and you're just seeing them make these mistakes, but it's, it's what the characters are. And, it, and it's, it's, I don't know, this movie was just so raw and real in the way that they fought that it really, the performances in this just really pushed it over the edge for me. And like, I, I yeah. this is an absolute Tupperware for me. It was like a couple's therapy session without a therapist. I mean, it really was. Yeah. This movie says a lot about a lot of things though. It's not just, uh, to narrow to narrow it down to like one thing, it, it's it's very difficult. It it, it I can I think I can, but I think it, it is very. It goes after you know critical reception of films, how critics you know talk about different movies, especially like how critics talk about like minorities, like when they make movies and stuff like that, which I thought I thought was like really interesting to to listen to like John David Washington's character talk about that kind of stuff and he's talking about like you know <laughs> the white woman from the New York Times or whatever and shit yeah when he's really on that tear and he's like standing outside yeah like ra- raging about it is fantastic <laughs> it, um it tackles it, like I, I like how it tackled a look at that like professional critique yeah and then also ha- how you handle critique from the people who are the most important in your life oh yeah like it was a really neat juxtaposition between those two because because Marie had such a legitimate thing to complain about and and Malcolm it was like dude you in a very real way you built this whole movie around her and your relationship with her and you don't even have and and like he doesn't tell her thank you he he doesn't acknowledge it at all and and when she points out that you know this this you refusing to acknowledge it is in a way refusing to acknowledge that this didn't all come from you because mm-hmm. now if it's something true yeah. and it's about me, people aren't going to be asking you questions about it. They're going to be asking me because it's my experiences that are so painful up it's there on like, the screen. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's like that scene from Mallrats where it's like, you're just a tracer. 
<laughs> exactly. Right? You know, like he, he, like he's, he's basically, and this guy, he clearly has a type. When, when, when we're, when he's talking about all the other women that he's dated in the past, he has a type and it, it seems like he likes to date people that are broken. We're all broken in a way, but he really goes after people that are in, in broken, like she came from drug addiction and then it, it seems like he's been profiting off of their tragedy. And then like he builds him and then he tries to like build them back up. Like, you know, and, uh, like, like he's this savior and that they should be eternally grateful for him. And, but on the flip side, like this whole time he's verbally abusing her and it's super yeah. sad. Um, I, I kept looking, he was the villain for me in this one. Big time, the oh, villain. Without for me. a doubt, he was the villain. And it's this movie says a lot about how we can, how words can really, really hurt people, and how men in power can can not, you know. Even though, like he, when he was making his movies, he wasn't doing things to like sexually exploit women, and we find that out. It's, there's a scene, they, they, it is kind of like talked about that there is a scene that's sexually exploiting this woman, but it's, it's, there's a reveal. But on the flip side, in his personal life, he is just totally like verbally abusing Marie to the point where I wanted, I just want her to leave this entire movie. Just leave him, just leave him in the dust. So I Tupperware it as well. I thought it was just an acting, um, an achievement for John David Washington. I think this is the best thing he's ever acted in that I've seen. Like I, I love Tenet. I just don't think that he was the best actor in that movie. I think that goes to Robert Pattinson. Um, and between the two of Zendaya and John David Washington, I think Zendaya is, just like she's she's incredible she's so good she was oh she was marie in this without a doubt yeah oh my god when when she did a thing where she put on her 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 audition or whatever oh my god that was incredible because i was like yes oh i was like oh my god now she's going like super over the top and then she's like and that's how it's done it's like oh god i i it was incredible it took me it I didn't even realize it as soon as you did. Like, I was like, oh my God. And then like halfway through, I'm like, okay, I see what she's doing. I see what she's doing. (laughs) I, yeah, I love this movie. Oh, without a doubt. In a very real way. I mean, this movie is a very good example of, you know, the, the pitfalls of what can happen when you're having an intense argument with somebody that you have intense feelings for. And that like, this is something I always go back to, and it always makes me chuckle a little bit just because the it seems so ridiculous. But a long time ago, I was reading an article in some magazine with Kevin Bacon, and I don't know if they're still married, but at the time, he had been married to Kira Sedgwick for quite a while. And he, they asked what the secret to the relationship was, and he said, you have to keep the fights clean and the sex dirty. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, that is, there's a lot of wisdom in that, because in the in the passion of a moment – if you say something horrible, yeah, you can't take it's it like back. It only came out because of that passion of the moment, but 
those words are there forever. That memory is there forever of a mm-hmm. person that you love doing something, saying something to intentionally hurt you. And that's something that's, you know, it's it's totally natural to lash out like that. You know, it, it's a very human experience. Mm-hmm. But to have that presence of mind of there's certain things you can't say and then take back. And so it's like Kevin Bacon, man, he's he's out there fighting clean and fucking dirty. I like it. He is. He's a sage of the ages, man. <laughs> uh, Jake, I think this is like. You've never, I don't think you've ever watched anything Sam Levinson. If you're gonna watch something, please watch this. Watch this over Assassination Nation? I would watch this over Assassination Nation. Yeah. Okay. You should watch both, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Joe, you need to watch Assassination Nation. It's fucking great. I love, I I think Sam Levinson's fantastic. I loved Euphoria. I haven't watched the, have you watched the, um, they came out with two, Two uh, Euphoria um, episodes that happened between season two, part one and part two. I haven't watched either of them yet. No, I, I haven't yet either. Oh, I, yeah. I still got to go back and finish season one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, my wife finished it, though, and, and she was harping on me about it for quite a while. <laughs> I think she was getting because, you know, she didn't have anybody to discuss it with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just never got around to it. But from the way that that first season was going like wow and i i think i've only got three episodes to go but that was a pretty crazy there was shit happening in that show i didn't think i'd ever see on a television show yeah oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and that that's all sam levinson that's and some people don't know how to take sam levinson they take it and i think they they take his art and they take it a different way and they're not getting it they're not they don't get sam levinson and um and that's unfortunate because I think the guy is fucking I think he's pretty brilliant. Um but yeah, I would recommend you watch this one, Jake. I think I, I recommend everybody watch this. I think it's fantastic. More than Miyagi, this uh premiered on Amazon Prime Video. I was hoping it was just gonna drop for free. I had to pay for this one. Joe, did you get a chance to see this? Yeah, I rented it. Yeah, I, I rented it as well. Um Mr. Miyagi is the character that made him an icon. Now we examine this Oscar nominated actor who brought him to life. And, um, holy, the title of this, More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story, More Than Miyagi, really delivers. (laughs) Like, like it's not just, we're not just focusing on his character of Mr. Miyagi here. They do, they get into that. But I mean, it starts off with his early days, his rise to stardom as an entertainer, his time in the Karate Kid, but it also goes into his later years and the fall of Pat Morita. A lot of stuff I didn't know about Pat Morita. Um, yeah. And it, um, this is a tremendous, uh, documentary. Uh, a lot of things I didn't know about him. The spinal surgery from when he was a kid. I had no idea that like he couldn't even walk. He had to go through these spinal surgeries as, as a child to even walk. I didn't know. Yeah, and in a very real way, he's lucky he wasn't born like 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. And uh, find out about his family and uh, how they were affected by, you know, what happened at Pearl Harbor. Him being Japanese and the way that Americans kind of reacted to Japanese Americans after Pearl Harbor. 
And, um, for a time there, his family was scared. Like they, they, and they would tell people that they were Chinese instead of Japanese. His family, his family started a Chinese restaurant because they wanted to make a living, even though they were Japanese. They, they told people that they were Chinese after all this, all this stuff just kind of like, it's crazy. It's like the funniest people. And he came from, he came from comedy. He came from stand up comedy. The funniest people go through some of the most tragic things sometimes. It's, you know, you, you think of, you think of a lot, the sad clown, you know, and I mean, he just came from just like, uh, we find out about abandonment issues with him and, and, and things with his family and, and, um, I was blown away by the, the last part of this, Joe, um, his struggle with alcoholism. Oh, that was so sad. Yeah. Uh, what did you think, Joe? I love this documentary, man. I, I grew up with the Karate Kid. Um, God, they, they were those movies that we had on VHS that we recorded off HBO or whatever. And so I had Karate Kid and, and Part 2, and I used to just watch those over and over again when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this on the list, just reading the title – I immediately knew, holy shit, this is going to be a Pat Morita documentary. And, and when I looked up the trailer and confirmed that, I was really excited to see this. And and like you were saying, there was so much about this guy that I didn't know. And the title is perfect, more than Miyagi. Because yeah. so many people, if you just show his face, they're going to say, oh, that's Mr. Miyagi. How many people could you show that picture to that would know him as Mr. Miyagi and have no idea his, name, his real name is Pat Morita? So many people, I bet. Yeah. And – and the all the stuff that it went when it harkened back to the internment of Japanese Americans in World War II, man, all of those scenes just made my blood boil. Mm-hmm. And when it showed all the horrible signs that people would have up, yes, you know, about you know telling, basically saying Japanese people you're not allowed to be here. It's like the most un-American shit that I can think of. And you know, I I don't remember hearing a lot about that in school. And so I I feel like. This documentary was one of those things that that shed light on on one of those ugly bits of American history that I think, you know, certain groups would rather be yeah. swept under the rug and not acknowledge that that these ugly things happened. And this is somebody that this was his life. He he, when he was born and he had these issues, and he was able to receive this this excellent medical care. He spent a lot of time in the hospital and then basically had to go directly from the hospital to an internment camp. And I mean, they they do say that comedians are really made from tragic backgrounds. Like they, I've I've heard a lot of comics say that you know when when they talk with other comics, they all have fucked up stories. It's it's rare to run into a stand up comic that was like, oh yeah, I had a really normal, great life. My parents, my parents, you know, my parents are supportive. Blah blah blah. You don't hear that shit. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so he was. He 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 just had this perfect life plan to like go into comedy and and kind of do what he did and then finding the way that he took his path that like his first agent was Lenny Bruce's mother and he was more mm-hmm. or less a cat skills comic starting out like from the shit I've heard about cat skills comics man <laughs> it's just funny stuff and like Tommy Chong saying that like he wouldn't understand why why. Why after a while he wouldn't laugh at his material and he's like, You're doing the same place and the same material over and over again. You know, yeah. everybody's here heard these jokes, man. And but that was just him, you know, and, and he was such like a you know, an an actor that 
that he could just put on these physical performances that they said that like when he first started in happy days I loved hearing all the stories about Happy Days and how that first started. Yes. And, and, and I didn't know yeah. that Happy Days was going to go off the air, but possibly after the second season. No, <laughs> like and Happy Days is one of those shows where it was on, you know, maybe on like Nick at Night or some shit like that when I was a kid. Yeah. And so I definitely caught episodes of it and stuff growing up. It like I learned so much about Happy Days in this documentary also. Like, did they say it was the third season where they finally brought him in? They brought him in and the they, third season. Yeah. Yeah, in every reference to Arnold before in the show was just purely references. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah. And and then just seeing how he, his his whole rise going through the movie industry and then how it almost didn't work out that he got to play Mr. Miyagi. And then that whole path through, I mean, th- this was a, a great documentary. It, it had <laughs> Yeah. It it had it had ups, it had downs. Um Man, the the end of this is the the way that this guy finished off his life is is so tragic. I mean, considering what he is to so many people, and I mean this if you if you're a big fan of the Karate Kid, then there there's there's no way around it. You have to watch this documentary. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of comedians and entertainers and stuff like that like we're talking about like tragic childhood and stuff like it's comedy and 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 this and acting and all this stuff is like their security blanket and it helps them block out all that they want to they want to pretend they just want to pretend and because it 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 it, uh takes away from the reality that they've that they've had to go through like these these troubled times in their lives and stuff like that and he's got all these abandonment issues and like it all comes to surface though after you know, um, the karate kid and we get into like his, uh, you know, alcoholism and stuff like that. And like, oh my God, like they, they talked about how, how he was basically always drunk all the time, always drinking. And I was, I, these are things that I never knew about him. And it just like, it broke my heart. Yeah. I love it. It, yeah, was, it was very, a, very hard. It was a Tupperware. It's an absolute Tupperware. And I think like the, it, in order to understand the man, you got to watch this documentary. So yeah, I recommend it. It's five bucks on Amazon prime video, video on demand. It's five bucks and it's five bucks. Well spent absolute Tupperware. This guy. So better this than earwig, huh? Oh, fuck earwig. <laughs> ah, fuck it. That is garbage. I can't believe you gave it a taste it, Jake. That hurts me to my core. oh movie was so bad oh my god toss it all the way um i watched you don't know me um joe did you get a chance to see this one i don't know if you saw it i didn't see this one okay this is you don't know me i watched it on hoopla um it's paul verhoeven's showgirls was met by critics and audiences with near universal derision you Don't Know Me traces the film's redemptive journey from notorious flopped cult classic and maybe even masterpiece. They talk about this movie, Showgirls. You guys all remember the movie with Showgirls starring Elizabeth Berkley <laughs> and Gina Gershon, directed by Paul Verhoeven. It was the first big-budget NC-17 movie. And uh, it... 
it talks about this movie and they have people on here it is very it's not biased i don't think it's biased i think there are still many people in here within the documentary that talk about how terrible this movie is but then there are also people that basically say yeah if you hear that this movie is a piece of shit well i'm here to tell you why it's a masterpiece of shit and they <laughs> They talk about that in this movie and how it handles uh, different, I don't know, how it handles different things within the film. I have my own personal kind of like opinion about this movie. Um, you know, watching it as a young, this movie came out, I think, I think in 1995. And of course I was like, I just wanted to see it because like, oh, it's the girl from Saved by the Bell and she gets naked. I was 17 years yeah, old. Totally. I was 17 years old. I wanted to see. And here's the thing. Like when I watched it as a kid, I was just like, oh my God, this is fucking, this is like jerk off material for days. <laughs> when you watch it as an adult, it, you're, you're just, it's not like that at all. Like I don't have like the hormones raging like I did when I was a seven. It's actually the nudity and stuff like that. You get so decent. You get. You're just kind of like done with it. You're just like, oh my god, I'm just, I'm so done with this. <laughs> and the sex scenes are just so weird. And this movie, the way it, 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 sometimes it defends Paul Verhoeven and sometimes it doesn't. Um, how he depicts rape culture in this movie. Um, and, um, I, th- I think I th- I'll give this movie a high taste it. I think they did a good job as far as showing you why some people think it's a really good movie and a cult classic. But I think that there's also a lot of things. I think there's another documentary that needs to be made about this movie that gets into everything that they didn't get into in this. Um, this movie, Jake, do you remember the company Coralco? No. Was it like a film production company? Yeah. Oh, the same company that cut third Island bombed. Yeah. Like at the beginning you'd see Coralco. They did Terminator, the original. Yes, 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 yes. I do remember this movie bankrupted that, that company. Oh wow! They had the Caralco, like, and they don't talk about this at all in the documentary. And I'm not saying like it's it's a fault. Like this movie, ha- it has its own uh, purpose. the mo- The purpose of this movie is to show you what this movie, like, what you may not have like appreciated about it when it came out. And I get it. There's two sides to every coin, but there's also so many things that they did not bring up about Paul Verhoeven, about how this movie mirrors what they were, what he was fighting against. Like Paul Verhoeven, like this movie, how it handles like rape culture and how women are treated and sexualized and victimized by men in power. But like that, let me get into everything. I, I I talked about Caracol. Let me start there. Caracol was bankrupted by this movie. This is not even touched on in the documentary. They were bankrupted by this movie. They had the rights to Spider-Man. And that's why we had to wait until 2002 to get the Spider-Man movie because Oh yeah, back when James Cameron was going to do it yeah, for him too. Yeah, yeah. Uh Paul Verhoeven at one time, and this is not 
all this stuff that I'm going to be talking about here is like most of it is not even brought up in this movie. Paul Verhoeven at one time was telling kids to sneak into this movie. <laughs> That's uh, fucked up. That is super fucked up. That is super fucked up that he would because there's the, there's one of the the there's one of the there's a rape scene in this that is and some people will <laughs> some people will defend it i think that it is um it happens in the, like the last 20 minutes of the movie and it's like why do that like the only character in this movie that like is uh, is any good is molly and then we see her get raped in the last like 15 20 minutes of this movie and i hate that um they <sighs> this movie how the whole thing is like about how women in in these shows are are sexualized and victimized by men in power and that what's so ironic about this is it it, it happens in this fucking in the making of this movie Elizabeth Berkeley was paid a hundred thousand dollars for this role where she's basically naked the entire time. She's flopping around like a, like a fish on a deck having sex with Kyle McLaughlin's character. She looks like when she's fucking him, she looks like she's the T 1000 in the molten steel at the end of T two. <laughs> oh it does. And no, but no women have sex like that. That is just that, that is insane. Kyle McLaughlin, and they don't even talk about this in the movie. Kyle McLaughlin, when he has a scene in that movie, when they show his ass, that's a stunt double. That's not even his ass. <laughs> so you, this movie is about women being sexualized and victimized, yet they fucking protect one of the main male actors in this movie. And I'm sure he made more money in this movie than fucking Elizabeth Berkley did. She made 100 k and this movie destroyed her career. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, it's, it's an interesting watch. They, they do talk about how like people are kind of obsessed, um, with this movie. They've, they've, they've done midnight screenings of it. Uh, people can quote it when they go to these midnight screenings. They've done, um, these, uh, these showgirls musicals these stage plays and stuff like that. It's, it's like a big deal, but I don't know. Did you, did you guys know this? They were, they originally pitched a sequel. Do you guys want to hear the name of the sequel? I, I definitely do. This is not a joke. I'm not making this up. The original sequel was going to be titled showgirls bimbos. Nomi goes to Hollywood. So at the end of the movie, when she leaves Vegas, she was going to go to Hollywood, and that was going to be the name of the sequel. Showgirls Bimbos, Nomi Goes to Hollywood. Wow. Terrible. This movie is so all over the place. Um, but Paul Verhoeven at one time, and this is not in the documentary, said that what the movie was missing was a murder mystery subplot. <laughs> That would have been cool. Uh, what the fuck? Did they talk to Verhoeven much in the making of this? Did they get much access to him? No, there's like no access to him. It's all uh, archive footage, archive interviews. Okay. Yeah. That's cool, though. Yeah, he was the only... He's been he, uh, at the Razzie Awards. He's the only director to ever show up to um, accept his award. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Well, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of this is crazy that I watched it. I kind I think I watched this in a week because Dustin Diamond died this week. Can you believe it? 44 years old. Like we just heard that he had stage 4 cancer and then he dies. And so young. Uh, it's yeah, young guy. It's sad, but he was I don't I, Dustin Diamond for me is that child actor that just harbored so much anger throughout his entire lifetime. And he started off, I think, as a sweet, innocent kid. And I think things just kind of happened to him. And he just, he just harbored so much anger throughout his entire life. And it's super sad. And, but, you know, I don't know. What, I don't know. What'd you guys think about this news of Dustin Diamond? I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just kind of that classic tale of the the star TV child just growing up and never able to let the past go and just kind of going down that downward spiral. Um, I mean, it was very sad, but unfortunately not the most surprising news. And and that just makes it even more sad upon itself. What's that? Yeah, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, very thing. sad. I mean, whenever you hear about somebody dying at 44... Yeah. You know, that is that is just way too young. Um, the weird thing about Dustin Diamond is when I was younger, my older cousin, um, she moved to Kansas City. And while she was there, she started du- dating Dustin Diamond. Shut the fuck up. I am not lying. Because, <laughs> like, I remember my mom tells me about it. And I'm like, she's dating Screech? Like, what? Well, that's so fucking weird. And then the next time she was up in Iowa, she like hands me like a, like a signature that she had asked Dustin Diamond to write out. And so I, somewhere in storage, I have a signature like to Joe from Dustin, all the best, something like that. Right. But, uh, I heard the biggest takeaway was just then we're getting a little bit older and coming to the realization like, did my cousin fuck Screech? I think my cousin got dicked down by Screech. <laughs> <laughs> well, he came out with that porno called uh, "Screeched: Saved by the Smell." <laughs> what he fucking a name. Title. He gave a woman a dirty Sanchez in that fucking movie, <laughs> and she did not so look fucking wrong. I've never seen it. This is all stuff that I've heard. Like everybody's going to be like, "Yeah, bullshit, whatever." This is all, trust me, I went down a Dustin Diamond rabbit hole this week and just like listening to things about Dustin Diamond and I don't know, his, his, uh, I don't know, he was just, he was kind of a piece of shit. I mean, big time throughout his life. It's sad that he's passed away. I, I mean, I wish that upon nobody, but man, just some of the things that he's done and said, he just, just terrible. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, though, I mean, he started out as a really sweet That's child a, yeah, actor yeah. and then just went through the fucking Hollywood ringer and life shitting on him. And how many times do you think people would just randomly see him public and just talk shit and call him Screech? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's got to be a, a fucking hard, hard fucking life, he, you know? I mean, what 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 could be harder than celebrity that has now gotten to the point where it's it's silly celebrity? It's like right. nobody takes you seriously. You're a walking fucking meme. Well, and he didn't got to be hard. He didn't help by doing he didn't help himself by doing the porno. He didn't help himself by writing that book. 
Oh, no, without a doubt. I mean, he exacerbated things. Like in the book, he, the celebrity boxing bullshit. Celebrity, bo- <laughs> he he fucking beat the shit out of like an elderly Horshack from Welcome Back Carter. It was terrible. It was just like the worst thing. Like they were gonna have like the two nerds battle each other in the ring, and like Horshack was just like this old man, and he just like gets the shit kicked out of him by Screech. Screech in the fucking in his uh, book, you know, just he hates Mario Lopez would talk about how Mario Lopez would just have sex with all these different women. But then in the same book, Screech brags about how he has sex with girls and all this other shit. And, you know, and and he one of the extras came on to set and uh, said something really shitty about Screech, about Dustin Diamond. And everybody kind of laughed at him. So, like. You know, like you can feel bad for him there, but then like in the same book, he writes about how he peed in her purse. So it's like, what a shithead. Like, like, are you kidding me? And then he, he fucking, uh, do you remember the guy that played Max in, uh, in, in Saved by the Bell? He was the, you know, the, yeah, the, he was the magician. Yeah, he owned the, like the soda yeah. pop shop. For some reason, he just has to come out in his book and talk about how like, Max had invited him over and, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, you know, who was Doogie Hauser at the time came over too. And, and him and Max had, uh, Max and Doogie Hauser had sex. Like, why do you have to throw that in your book? Oh God, what a piece of, <laughs> he's a, he was, yeah. I feel, I'm, yeah, just sensationalism to sell books at that point. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. He had a ghostwriter write it too. And, oh, of course. Mm. All right. Resident Alien. I'm done. Resident Alien on on sci-fi. Did Joe, did you get a chance to see Resident Alien? No, I did not. Okay. I actually I did watch this as well. I forgot to tell you I watched this. How many episodes? I watched the first two. I just watched the pilot. Okay. It's based on a comic book of the same name by Peter Hogan and Steve Parkhouse. Uh and uh after crash landing on Earth, an alien takes on the identity of a small town Colorado doctor and wrestles with the moral dilemma of his secret mission. Um, it stars Alan Tudyk. Uh, we all know him. K2SO. What else? He's been in a ton of shit, Alan Tudyk. He's in a ton of Disney animated stuff, right? I don't know. He's like in Wreck-It Ralph. And... Yeah. He was the bad guy in um, um, that DC show. Yes. Uh, Doom Patrol? Doom Patrol, yes. Yeah, yeah. Alan Tudyk. He was like Nowhere Man or Mr. Nowhere or something like that. So you got, see, basically you got an alien and he's going to Earth and you find out that the alien's mission is to, uh, basically, uh, drop a device on the Earth and, and destroy all of humanity. What happens is his ship gets struck by lightning and he's stranded on Earth and now has to become a human. So he takes on the form of a human. And uh, he's in Colorado, a small town in Colorado, and uh, their doctor, the town doctor, dies, and he takes the role of a man who is a doctor, and now he's a part of this community and starts to uh, strike up relationships with different people in the town, and hilarity, and uh, and um, things ensue. Jake, what did you think about the first episode of Resident Alien? I liked it a lot more than I thought it would, especially for a pilot. I'm, I'm going to give it a high taste. It. I, I thought it was quite charming. It oddly gave off Northern Exposure vibes. To I me. I agree with that. I kept thinking of Northern Exposure too. Yeah. I don't know if it's just this really like well knit 
town with this outsider coming in. But here the difference is, is the outsider is an alien who shapeshifted into someone he's killed body. So it, it's a real outlandish version of that. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked Alan Tudyk's performance a lot. I liked the kind of the twist we got at the end of the pilot episode when we actually find out what his mission is. Yeah. Um, I like how enthralled he is by like the idea of solving a murder from learning how to speak English by watching like law and order episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, a lot, a lot of fun stuff to grasp on here in the first episode. I'm, I'm interested in what you thought about the second episode and where it continues from there. I love the second episode. I, I'm going to give it a high taste as well. I'm really digging this series. Um, I like it a lot, so I'm looking forward to sci-fi canceling it. Um, so. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really like this. I like the, the one kid. Apparently, like, there's this one kid that can see him for who he is. Everybody in the town sees him as uh, this this doctor who looks like a human, looks like Alan Tudyk. But there's this one kid who has, like, this, I don't know, like for some reason this one kid can see him as the alien and they really get into that in the second episode and it's a lot of fun i i am enjoying this show quite a bit and um i i'll give it a high taste it yeah resident alien i think it's i think it's fun i like seeing him i watched the trailer before we watched this Uh and i would have swore this was going to be a toss it like it just the premise was just so outlandish and it looks so goofy but I was surprised at how much fun I had with this. Yeah, yeah. I, apparently, Linda Hamilton is eventually going to show up in this show. She plays General McAllister. Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's Resident Alien. It's funny and really dark at the same time. And uh, Yeah, I was surprised how dark it got, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Palmer. This is the new Apple TV Plus original movie. An ex-convict strikes up a friendship with a boy from a troubled home. It's directed by Fisher Stevens. He's mostly known for acting. He's been on Succession and The Blacklist, to name a couple of things. Uh, Eddie Palmer is a former high school football star who just got out of prison after 12 years. He lives with his grandmother, Vivian, who occasionally watches over a flamboyant young boy named Sam. Palmer eventually begins working at the local school as a janitor, and after Vivian passes away, is forced to become Sam's temporary guardian with his mom, Shelly, constantly leaving town. Palmer takes Sam to the high school football game and bowling fundraisers, striking up a relationship with Sam's teacher, Maggie. This one stars Justin Timberlake as Eddie Palmer. Writer Alan is Sam. Uh, we've got uh, June Squibb plays Vivian Palmer, Eddie's grandmother. Uh, she was in the movie of Nebraska. I love her. And then Juno Temple as Shelly. She plays Sam's mother. She's in she's in Ted Lasso. So if you're a Ted Lasso fan, Juno Temple's in this one as well. Joe, did you get a chance to see this? No, I did not. This is a uh, Apple Plus one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I still don't have Apple Plus. Uh, Jake, what did you think about Palmer? Uh, this is another thing that I didn't think I was going to care much for that I ended up really liking. It, it was a high taste it for me. Um, it really got its hooks into me, and I really fell into the drama. I thought the the kid that played Sam was phenomenal and did just such a great job at performing his lines. A, a really rough role, I think, for a kid that age, mm-hmm. some of the stuff they had him doing. And um, 
yeah, man, I thought this movie was really dramatic, and it, I never really knew how it was going to turn out, man. A lot of good things happen for Palmer. A lot of bad things happen for Palmer. Um, past kind of comes back and haunts him. And, man, I was really sucked in not knowing whether or not things were going to turn out okay for the well-being of Sam. And I, I like this quite a lot. A very high taste. It, it uh, a must watch if you have Apple TV Plus. I agree. I'll also give it a high taste. It man, I, I fell in love with that little kid, and I kept thinking to myself, like, you, that's a fucked up thing, man. We live in a fucked up world, Jake. We live in a fucked up world where if somebody's different, people just fucking shit on them, and um, it's not acceptable that a young boy. It, it, we still live in a day and age where it's not acceptable for a young boy to want to play with dolls and, and want to be a princess and all these things. And that's just what makes him happy. He's not doing it to piss you off. That's just who he is. That's just who he is. And you've got people just fucking, they see something different and, and they see, and, and, and in my opinion, you see it's something beautiful and they just want to fucking destroy it because it's different. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's evil. And man, to see Palmer, who's kind of like on the bad side of how he looks at Sam from the beginning and like how he changes his thoughts about this boy throughout the movie. And, um, I kind of love the relationship that those two had. And, uh, I cried a little bit. I didn't like, I wasn't like full on bond. I think our friend fucking like, I think I lost all my tears in that fucking movie. <laughs> Did you see that before this? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, I, this was, this was, this was a strong, this was a strong movie and it was nice to see this pop up on Apple TV plus. I don't think that they, you know, servants come back. I, I, I got to jump on the servant train again because I love that first season. Uh, Wolf Walkers was strong. Ted Lasso was strong, but it was nice to see a movie come out on the service. Uh, and I really enjoyed Palmer. I thought it was really, really good. Joe, uh, do you use an Apple device? Do you have a, do you have an iPhone? I do have an iPhone. Next time you upgrade your phone, they give you a year free of Apple TV plus. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'll have to watch for that next time. And, and also it's not that expensive. It more just, it's not a price issue. It's more just a, it'd be another st- streaming service I'm paying for when, when I don't have that much time to watch TV in the first place. But man, there's just, there's so many good things I hear you guys talk about on there that oh I my swear God. Have month you, have I'm you, a little bit closer to getting it. Have I you mean, not, for All Mankind and Ted Lasso, I really want to see both of those. For All Mankind and, comes back for season two in two weeks. And then Ted Lasso is just, it's incredible, man. It's so good. Um, Jake, I, servant I, sounds really good, also, and I, I need to get it. And did, Jake, did you finish Ted Lasso? I did. I, I fucking loved Ted Lasso. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I thought you did. I'm glad that you enjoyed that show. It's it's it is phenomenal. Oh my god! So crazy that that would come from an advertisement, like a TV commercial. Yeah, like very very surprising. You you would hear that and think, oh, this show is just going to be awful, and. No, it's one of the best shows of the year. One of the best shows of 2020. Yeah, yeah, Joe. Oh my God, bite the bullet, man. Just for just do it. Just do it. Just do it for a month. Just do it for a month. Bite the bullet. Do it for a month and just be like, you know what? I'm gonna knock out these fucking Apple TV Plus shows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you get seven days free even if you don't buy a new Apple device. Too. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, Joe. Did you watch the silencing? I'm curious. 
I did. I did not. Uh, a reformed hunter living in isolation on a wild life. I feel like we didn't give enough props to fucking Palmer, Jake. It's, it's really good. People need to watch it. Oh, it was fantastic. I was really surprised at the performance that Justin Timberlake turned in here. I mean, I agree with you. It was a really interesting tale of acceptance, and it was unusual that the main character himself would not be very accepting and then learn through just this kid and dealing with him and, and helping to raise him, you know, that he was wrong. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see a main character change his mind something you don't see very often in movies like this and we saw it in stages we saw it we saw it in like i'm 100 against this to like i don't want you to be like this because i don't want fucking people to beat you up to like i want you to be you and i want you to be happy and it's fucking oh my god <laughs> it's powerful dude it was powerful when he got that mail at the end like you knew exactly what it was going to be yeah that really put a big smile on my face for sam me too knowing what was going to be in that envelope so yeah. yeah this this was a really surprisingly good movie i i was taken aback about how much i enjoyed this great uh great music in this movie too yeah yeah ah justin timberlake you were, never thought you could be a good actor but my god you you surprised me on snl you were hilarious and you were so good in this dramatic role as well. So, No, uh, I really felt him. A lot of pop too. stars being this ex-con, you'd almost laugh at. But within 10 minutes of this movie, you kind of believe that he's got this bad past. Do you think Lady Gaga is going to come back and do something after uh, after that movie? What was that called? I love Stars Born. Stars Born. You think she's going to come back? Or do you think she's going to be very like particular, kind of like an, like an Oprah Winfrey, about what like acting role she takes on? I think she'll be very particular. I think she, her first love is still music. So she's never going to like fall into the, you know, two, three movies a year type of thing. Yeah. Um, Have you seen the Lady Gaga Oreo cookies? I I have eaten the Lady Gaga Oreo cookies. (laughs) What are your thoughts on the Lady Gaga Oreo cookies? Uh, don't eat a whole package of them or you will have the strangest looking poo the next day. <laughs> coloring runs right through you, doesn't it? Oh my god, they are they are pink shells with neon green icing, and I'd forgotten what I'd eaten the day before, and was quite worried for my health for a good minute or so. I'm, I'm trying to think of a poop joke for Lady Gaga or Poker Face or something. I can't do it. I'm, I'm struggling, Jake. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I will try to think about that too. I'm like running through every song in my head. I know, I know. I'm really struck. She is, she is super talented, though. She really is. Oh, oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Chromatica was one of my favorite albums of last year. The silencing. A reformed hunter living in isolation on a wildlife sanctuary becomes involved in a deadly game of cat and mouse when he and the local sheriff set out to track a vicious killer who may have kidnapped his daughter years ago. This one stars, uh, how the fuck do you say this guy's name from the Game of Thrones? Uh, Nicola. Nicolai Coster Waldo. Boom. Thank you. He plays. Look at you. Yeah. Look at you, Mr. Fancy Pants. Fucking I'm just Jamie. sounding confident. I don't know if that's really heist. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, you should have just went with it, man. I believed you. <laughs> well, there's probably some Game of Thrones, like, fanatic out there going, not Yeah, yeah, the same fuckers that piss piss and moan about how I say Zendaya or whatever. (laughs) I didn't get a chance. This is the one thing I didn't get a chance to watch this week. What did you think about the silencing? 
I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's on Amazon Prime Video, by the way, everybody. Yeah, my, this is a, a genre that my wife is a really big fan of. And so I end up, you know, even tangentially watching like a lot of content like this. And so as soon as I saw the trailer for it in the list, I made a note next to it. Like this is, this is Lindsay's kind of movie. And, mm-hmm. and we watched it earlier today and this, you know, being that this is a genre that we do watch quite a bit of, I thought that this was a really interesting movie. It, it did things in it that I hadn't really seen in, in movies like this before, which I thought was pretty cool. It's got a really interesting twist in it that happens when there's still about 30 minutes to go to the movie that for the next like probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so, like it was a real head scratcher. And then that comes back into play at the very end of the movie with the way that the movie wraps up. And I feel like, when this twist first happened, I was like, "Ooh, this kind of drops my rating a little bit. I don't, I don't like what it means for this character that this happened." But then the way that the movie wraps up, it, it flipped it around for me, and this was an absolute Tupperware. Uh, if you're into the types of movies where, you know, it's, you know, people kind of investigating serial killers and, and stuff like that, this is this is definitely one for you to check out because this um, this movie just the way it's set up, it keeps you guessing. Until, you know, very close to the end of the movie on on who this killer out in the woods really is that's like hunting these girls. I mean, basically, at the beginning of the movie, this this girl is found washed up on the side of of the boundary waters and they go in and um, they're checking into it. They find that she was hunted before death and then they find this like arrowhead embedded in this tree. And when they do some more checking into it. It's not necessarily an arrowhead. It's from a, a weapon called an atlatl, which is like, imagine something smaller than a spear, but bigger than an arrow. And it's, it's got a launching device where you kind of like swinging it almost like you're What's swinging it like a tennis racket. What's it's called it? an atlatl. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like the most ancient, it's one of the most ancient hunting weapons there is. It says in the movie that you can, using one, you can launch a spear at over a hundred miles an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. I've never, Jake, have you ever heard of an atlatl? Never. So, so imagine like a, a big stick that you swing like a tennis racket, like an overhand swing, right? Yeah. yeah. And attached to the end of this stick so that when you're holding it up and it's cocked back, that arrow, the projectile that's on it is more or less facing forward at whatever you're going to be throwing it at, right? And then as you propel this thing forward, that arrow is like connected to the back of that stick. So as you're swinging the stick forward, the energy that's generated propels that spear forward, and that's what makes it go so fast and makes it so very deadly. Hmm. Um, they were weapons that like um, hunter-gatherers and stuff used to take down large game. That sounds it's like almost shit. like a Hawaiian sling type of thing, huh? Yeah, like yeah, kind of something like that. And so, um, Joe, have you ever you? I bet you fucking killed some shit with that, haven't you? You're fucking. I've never used one. I've, I've never. You are such an outdoor before. woodsman. I'm I'm familiar with with how they work and everything, but I've never. I mean, I've I've shot bow and arrow. I've shot you know like longbow, recurve bow, compound bow. I've thrown spears, speared fish. I have never. I, I, I swear, sometimes I don't even know if we have Joe Stark on the podcast. I feel like we got Joe Rogan on here. It, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what happens when you grow up rural, man. Like when I was old enough to hold a shotgun, like my dad put a, a double barrel four ten in my hand yeah. and was throwing clay pigeons by hand and teaching me to shoot them. 
And so then by the time I was 12, I was shooting a 12, like I was shooting a 12 gauge and like routinely getting five out of five. Like I was, I don't know. My dad's a huge hunter. My dad takes at least two deer a year. Usually, usually one with a bow and one with a muzzle loader. Ah, I was, uh, I was so, hoping so you say I with grew your, up around with your, the stuff. I was hoping you'd say with, but, your, with his bare hands. <laughs> just wrestling that thing to the ground uh no there was there was many many a morning when i was a little kid that like i woke up and it was the ass crack of dawn and dad had shot a deer first thing and he was he came home to get me to drag me out in the woods to help him track a blood trail and find where this buck ran i can't him. i i can't kill a living thing i can't i just Dude, I was so stoked the first time I went deer hunting. It was youth season. I was 12 years old. Yeah. I had made a bet with another kid in Boy Scouts that he bet I wouldn't shoot a deer. And I was like, fuck that. I'm shooting a deer. Like, I used to go duck hunting and pheasant hunting and stuff all the time. I went duck hunting on the Nintendo Entertainment System every (laughs) fucking day for a long time, Joe. But, but dude, the first time I shot a deer, uh, no, it it bummed me out bad. And and my dad, you know, being such a hunter, I didn't want him to know how it affected me. And so I just kind of put on a face like, yeah, it is exciting. I'm going to push away this sorrow that I wasn't expecting. And then the next year, that's all I could think of. I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to go hunting with dad again. I'm going to have to shoot a deer. I didn't want to have this conversation with him. And I was like, maybe maybe we just won't see a deer. First day out, it's like the sun's barely coming up and there's a buck broadside to us as we're hiking out to where we're going to go. Dad's like, holy shit, there's there's a deer right there. Shoot it, Joe. I missed that fucking deer seven times on purpose before it ran off. It was like the deer wanted to die and then got disgusted with me. <laughs> oh my god, I can't see. I if, if there's a spider, if there's a spider in my house. I will catch it and then set it free outside. Oh, dude, I got a bug assault gun. I fucking murk every. <laughs> I do the spider same thing with spiders. I, I like let them out the window and everything. I'm like, they're the good bugs. I know. Yeah, th- <laughs> like like I love spiders. I think praying mantises are like essential. I love praying mantises. I, I, I would never kill it. I like bugs. I just think that bugs have a place, and that that place is not in my home. If yeah. you're a creepy spider and you're in my home, you're gonna die by salt because I'm gonna shoot you with my bug assault gun. Oh, the hard take there, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm going to get a one-star anyway, review for the for the bug murderer. <laughs> one star, one star titled "Bug Murderer." <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Fucking your new nickname. Fun. Your new nickname is the Orkin Man. <laughs> Well, every once in a while, my reflexes are on point, and I can catch a house fly. I'll let it go outside just as a tribute, you know. But but I hey, have you ever caught a house fly like Mister Miyagi with the chopsticks? Never with chopsticks. Do you I always try and sneak up on him and catch him with my bare hands. Yeah. Oh God. I definitely tried with chopsticks after seeing that movie as a kid. <laughs> I fucking I I used to work I used to work in a call center years ago, and there was this kid Clayton that worked there, and he fucking smacked the fly. And it knocked the fly out. You ever knock a fly out? You smack them and you knock them out? Yeah. Well, it knocked them out. That I've done. And, uh, yeah. And so he, he, he asked this one girl that we worked with. Her name was Lara. And, uh, she gave, <laughs> she gave him one of her hairs. Yes. She had long hair and he wrapped the hair around the, like the abdomen of this fly and tied it in a knot. And when the fly came to, he was like on a, like, it was like a balloon and the fly, 
I'm not even kidding you. The fly would try to fly away, and he was holding he was holding onto the end of the fly with his hair on the leash. It was so weird. I have never seen anything like that in my entire life, and it has stuck with me for 20 years. <laughs> That's awesome. yeah, who thinks to do that to tie a hair around? I have I have no idea. This kid was weird. So I had a friend in high school with long hair and he used to do that. It was so funny. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, um, do you remember before Jackass came out, there was the CKY videos. That sounds familiar. There was a CKY video. I remember them. They were big in the skating scene. My buddy had them all. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a, a clip in one of those CKY videos where a really young, I can't remember his last name. He was Brandon, Brandon something that was in those. And there was a really old video of him doing it with it. It might have been with a B. But anyway, um, silencing. <laughs> the silencing. Tupperware. <laughs> Amazon private. What'd you, hey, what'd you rate it? This movie was a Tupperware for me. No um, shit. I'm going to have to watch this, man. I, I thought I thought it was really good. It kept me guessing until the end on who the killer might be. Um, it was... Um, Nikolai Kosterwaldo put in a really, really good performance. He's a really tortured character in this and that he's, his daughter went missing five years before and it pretty much completely train wrecked, you know, his life. And now he's, he's a reclusive alcoholic and when he can, he goes in and, you know, hangs up fresh wanted or, you know, missing posters everywhere. And, um, this wildlife reserve that he lives on, he's named it after his missing daughter and when he finds out that this body is washed up, he goes to the sheriff's department because he wants to see if it was his daughter. And it, it wasn't her. And so then he goes back to his place and he's got this wildlife preserve where, you know, people aren't allowed to hunt. And so he's got cameras set up everywhere. And he sees a guy in a ghillie suit, like on one of the camera feeds. Do you know what a ghillie suit is? Uh, is that like that? Is it like a camouflage suit? Yeah. You remember the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger? I, oh, I remember Sniper, yeah. Remember when he's in that scene where it's like, oh, is that a clump of grass in a field? No, yes. it's moving. That's a guy, and he's wearing a suit. That's a ghillie suit. And so the killer in this movie... I thought a ghillie suit... Do you, remember, do you remember Gilly? Do you remember uh, in the SNL sketch? The SNL character? Yeah, with the, <laughs> the fucked up hands. <laughs> was that was that her? Or No, Gilly's like the, was like the troublesome student where Sudeikis always yelled her name when she like did things. That's what I thought was Gilly suit was. <laughs> We're popping the bubbles with the fucked up hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, so the killer in this movie, he's, he's, you know, he's using Atlatl, which is a silent, you know, weapon. And he's wearing this ghillie suit, so like he just sits still and like he completely blends in with the environment he's in. So Nikolai Waldo, you know, his character, what is his name? Like shit, I'm I should have took better notes. Rayburn. 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 I was like, I knew he had a weird name. So Rayburn's out trying to find this guy, and all of a sudden, bam, he gets hit in the shoulder with an atlatl, and now he's like fighting for his life out in these woods and you know, manages to make it home and and wants to see what this guy was chasing. And then he finds out that there was a girl he was chasing. So basically, he like pulls this thing out, sews himself up, and then fills up a pack and goes right back out into the woods to try and find this girl that was being, you know, hunted by this guy. And man, this movie is 
it's really good. It, it's got kind of this separate plot going with, with his character and then with the sheriff that's also pursuing it. And then the way that the two storylines come together and the way that it ties up at the end. Fantastic. This I'll, was I'll check a this really out. good movie. I really had a good time with it. I'll probably watch this tomorrow. Jake, this has got Jamie Lannister in it, dude. Yeah, that's that's the star. I realize that's the star. That's the star. Jamie Lannister. Does he have sex with his sister? No, nope, no sex in this. No sister, no sibling <laughs> sex. No sibling sex. Jake is out. I'm out. I'll stick to the porn. Yeah. Jake, oh, God. I Jake's porn hub is fucked up. Have you ever seen <laughs> Jake has a porn hub list. Like, There's nothing wrong with it. She's a stepsister. Jake has a fucking online por- uh, porn, porn viewing list. Like most people create a Spotify list. It's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I just put that shit on random and go to town. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Oh my god. Uh, Bliss. Am- this is another Amazon Prime movie. Uh, did you see this, Joe? Yeah, I did. I know Jake saw it. Bliss is a mind-bending love story following Greg, who, after recently being divorced and then fired, meets the mysterious Isabel, a woman living on the streets and convinced that the polluted, broken world around them is just a computer simulation. Doubtful at first, Greg eventually discovers that there may be some truth to Isabel's wild conspiracy. It's written and directed by Mike Cahill. Uh, it stars Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek. And uh, I think if we talk about this one too much, we're going to give away the mystery. And I'm not here to spoil this movie. Um. But, uh, Jake, what did you think about, uh, Bliss on Amazon Prime? Did, did you, did you, did you, did the Matrix ever come into your mind? Oh, 100% the Matrix came in my mind while watching this. What'd you think? 100%. What'd you think? Um, I, I didn't care for this too much. This was a low taste it for me. I found it mostly depressing and not in an introspective, fun way at all. Um, and I agree with you. I, if people watch this, I don't want to give away the ending, but yeah, I don't know. It was very much like a, a joyless matrix. Um, I thought Salma Hayek's performance was, was pretty decent. Um, she definitely had me just laughing with her, her gusto and how into what she was saying she really was. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, with, it didn't really stick the landing for me at all. And I found it just mostly depressing and boring. I did not much care for this. Depressing and boring. Joe. Yeah, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of Jake. I, I had a really good time with this movie. Uh, going into it, uh, after watching the trailer, um, I remember saying to my wife, I was like, if this goes the same route as like Vanilla Sky, I'm going to be very disappointed. And oh, fuck Vanilla Sky. God damn oh, it. I hated movie. that movie. That movie's yeah, great. And because that was the vibes I got from it when I watched the trailer. And but when I watched this movie, I really, really liked it. Um, I I liked how ambiguous they made everything. Yeah. yeah. It's it it doesn't it doesn't come right out and spoon feed things to you like in it, it definitely relies on the whole less is more idea in that. It's it's spoon feeding you little bits of stuff and really letting you make up your own mind as to what you're seeing. And, and that is what made it work for me is that they didn't try and explain and pinpoint exactly what was going on. And, yeah, the, the allegory that, that you had to the Matrix. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, this was it was definitely in, put me in mind of that. 
and yeah, Selma Hayek. I mean, number one, ooh, Selma Hayek. But she was she was great in this, and it was it was good to see Owen Wilson back and doing stuff. And and you know, I mean, they didn't give him much to do in this. He he was. A, a little bit wooden in, in in a very real way. He was the perfect stand-in for the audience because throughout a lot of the movie, he was also like, "What the fuck is going on?" Here? Right. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I mean, this movie for sure wins a giant "What the fuck" award, but for whatever reason, like it 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 clicked with me. I read some reviews online afterwards, and and I feel like my my appreciation of this movie is is definitely a, like a minority <laughs> at least of what i saw in the limited googling i did but um but yeah th- this movie worked for me and 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 it's all down to the fact that that they leave so much of it in the viewer's mind to to just make up you know your own kind of conclusions when it's done yeah because I, it, it could go so many different ways as to what's really happening and what would you rate it I'd give it a Tupperware. Like, it worked for me that well. Wow. I will not give it a Tupperware, but I will give it a high taste. It it held my attention and always had me guessing and always had me on my toes. And I thought that both of the actors here put on really good performances, Owen Wilson and Selma Hayek. I thought Selma Hayek was great. And it was nice to see her in this role when it felt like it was made for, what's her face, Tim Burton's wife. Oh, Helen, oh, uh, Helena um, Bohem Carter. Yeah, it, it's just like her character, the way she was. I think I I think Salma Hayek was perfect for this. I was so glad to see her in this role. I thought she did really well. Um, but like, yeah, you never know really what what is real, what is not real, what's simulated, what's not simulated. Um, what is this? Like, what world is real? Um, yes. Yeah. And and. It always keeps you guessing, and uh, I, I was there for the mystery. And I, I do I, I don't think that it pulled it off a hundred percent, but man, I was I was I was enjoying the ride. I was in for it, so I'll give it a high taste. It so, Joe, I'm yeah, I'm excited that you gave it a, a Tupperware. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I mean, I was, and you know, afterwards, what's funny too is when I was reviewing my notes, probably around like two thirty or so. I got to that one because right when I got done watching it, I just wrote Tupperware in my notes and I was staring at it. I'm like, is it, is this a high tasted or a Tupperware? <laughs> and and, and after, and yeah. after kind of agonizing over it for a while, I was like, you know what? No, this was a Tupperware for me. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I found out they, they, uh, filming took place. Some of the filming took place in split Croatia. And I just want to throw this out there that, that, uh, that's the birthplace of one Tony Kukoc for uh, all you Bulls fans out there, and you should know that. <laughs> if you didn't, you failed your Bulls trivia. Yeah, you <laughs> fail at life. <laughs> Split Croatia. Everybody should know that. Tony Kukoc. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. That's Bliss. That's Bliss on Amazon Prime Video. Check it out. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Pop Culture Leftovers news. Making pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Making pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Making pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Making pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Bacon pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Making pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Bacon pancakes. That's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Bacon pancakes. That's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. 
All right, hey, we are back. It is now time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Where is it? There it is. Yeah, 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 read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. And I'm trying to fight my cat right now. He's like rubbing his head on all everything. Aren't you? You got your, <laughs> you got your, you got, you got your fucking tail all over the place, don't you? Uh, I love him. He's, he's handsome as shit, though. Uh, news from Dark Horizons, hot off her Golden Globe nomination for Nomadland, filmer, filmmaker Chloe Zhao has set her next project. Listen to this shit, tackling a very different film reimagining of Dracula for Universal Pictures. This version is described as an original futuristic sci-fi western version of Bram Stoker's original story and Universal's most famous classic monster. Zhao will write, direct, and produce the film. Through her production company, Highwaysmen. Yeah, so we've got she recently. Wow, futuristic. Original futuristic sci-fi western featuring Dracula. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's the okay. I, I I'm really excited. I'm really excited about Chloe Zhao. I'm uh, I uh, I'm gonna go see her movie Nomadland, which finally like it's been really it's been out for a while now, but. Our theaters haven't been open here. I bought a ticket to go see this on Tuesday in IMAX, so they're showing it in IMAX. I'm really looking forward to seeing Nomadland with um, uh, uh, Francis McDormand. Uh, who, you know what? Here's the thing: Francis McDormand. I think she's. I think. I think more. <laughs> I think more people should be excited about Francis McDormand, and are not excited about i think i think like I, I don't think a lot of white men are excited about francis mcdormand movies and i think that's a shame that's all, that's what i'm yeah. gonna say she doesn't fit the mold i think that the the atypical white man wants to see when it comes to their leading female star but man she's a fucking powerhouse and she picks her roles well thank like, you she is she's not in very many movies where you're like oh why are you in this i'm here to say as a white man i love francis mcdormand and i'm excited for her movies I'm like a like. I don't think there's very. <laughs> I think it's weird to say that there's not very very many white fanboys of Frances McDormand, Jake. No, I think I think you're absolutely absolutely right. Yeah, she's she's fantastic, and anytime she's in something, she herself elevates that project. In uh, my opinion, a hundred percent. Chloe Zhao, she's gonna be doing. She's doing Marvel's The Eternals. But before, I love the fact that she's fucking doing other shit. I love the fact that she's doing other shit. She's doing, hold on, an original futuristic sci-fi western. What does that mean with, 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 <laughs> what does that mean? Are we going to be set, are we going to be set in the late 1800s with Dracula and what, sci-fi? What does that mean? Are we getting a mix here of like cowboys and aliens meets Dracula? What is going on with this movie? This reimagining of Dracula? What, uh, what is going on here? I can't visualize for the life of me what this is going to look like. Like, what is more important thematically here, the futuristic part or the Western part? That's this where it's is, confusing. This is like somebody saying to me, like whispering in my ear, Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> totally, right? I, like, I don't like, yeah, like you just broke my brain. You broke my brain, bro. You broke my brain. So, like, I don't know, what, Joe, Joe, thoughts on a Dracula. It's a version of Bram Stoker's original story, but set as an original futuristic sci-fi western with Chloe Zhao. What is going on? 
I mean, yeah, is this like some sort of like post-apocalyptic future that, you know, they're going to make it kind of look like a Western and, and it has Dracula in it? I mean, it is a lot to try and wrap your brain around because it just seems like so many things that maybe shouldn't go together. Or maybe Dracula is just the only odd part out in that. I don't Wait, Was Chloe Zhao, was she like on a fucking self-discovery thing where she fucking took peyote out in the desert and she make, she's like, I'm going to make this movie. Like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> this is insane to I me. I guess if you're going to do Dracula again, you got to go wild with it. Like, no one wants to see just the same old, same old Dracula. Again, sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm da- I'm down. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> on paper. I, this is it. That's a movie I have to see by that description. Good or bad, I have to see what the fuck is going on. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's it's too weird of a a, a brief summary to ignore. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Whatever happened to uh? Whatever happened to fucking uh, Chris Pratt's fucking uh, samurai Viking cowboy movie or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if COVID put a halt on that or if it just didn't fly, but it seemed like that was for sure happening. Yeah, dude, we talked about that. It feels like four years ago. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened with that movie. It's weird. Mm. Chloe Zhao. I don't remember hearing about that one. You don't remember? Yeah, it was like, uh, (laughs) it was fucked up. It was fucked up. I can't remember. Chris Pratt, it was like, I'd have to Google it. What what was that? What was it? Chris Pratt. Hold on, Chris Pratt. Cowboy Ninja Viking. Cowboy Ninja Viking. (laughs) That's going to sound familiar now. Cowboy Ninja Viking. On November 20th, 2014. Chris Pratt was cast as the lead. It sounds like it sounds like uh, asking a five year old, "What do you want to be for Halloween?" And they're like, "Cowboy Ninja Viking." <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was set to release in 2019. Was pulled from the release schedule in August of 2018. It is still considered an active development. We'll see. The delay was over script concerns. Hmm. Okay. They just could not get the ninja part right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was the Viking stuff that was giving them issues. I don't, I, I, Jake, I'm, I'm more on the, I'm leaning towards the ninja part. <laughs> <laughs> they had the cowboy part nailed though. They did. Dude, cowboy part wrapped up. That's a wrap. We got it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that movie. Cowboy ninja Viking. Oh my god. Based off of a image comic it looks like. Yeah. Too. Based off an image comic. Disappointing news here, boys, from Dark Horizons. Uh, leaked canned, leaks canned Netflix's Zelda series. Did you hear about this? I did hear about this. Nintendo got pretty fucking mad and they pulled the plug. Oh my god. Yeah. Recently there's been movement at Nintendo who appears to be finally softening a decades long hardline stance against seeing their valuable IP like Mario, Star Fox, Metroid, or Zelda being adapted, adapted for t- film or TV. The fel- the failure of the disastrous Super Mario Brothers movie in 1993 led to Nintendo shutting down any possibility of further adaptations. Recently, they began to come back around with an animated Mario movie on the way from the folks at Illumination Entertainment. Several years ago, Nintendo was reportedly considering a live-action Netflix series based on The Legend of Zelda property, an adaptation that never got out of development and was abruptly canceled. 
this week. Eurogamer reported that comedian Adam Conover appeared on the Surf Times podcast recently and revealed that he was working on a claymation animated Star Fox adaptation back around the same time the Zelda series was in early development. However, when the Wall Street Journal leaked word about the Zelda series, Nintendo abruptly halted all of its adaptations shortly after. Quote, I worked at College Humor and we had a secret project where we were going to make a claymation version of Star Fox with Nintendo. I know this because Shigeru Miyamoto came to our office. Then, a month later, suddenly there were reports Netflix wasn't going to do its Legend of Zelda anymore. I was like, what happened? And then I heard from my boss we weren't doing our Star Fox movie. I was like, what happened? He was like, someone at Netflix leaked the Legend of Zelda thing. They weren't supposed to talk about it. Nintendo freaked out. And they pulled the plug on everything, the entire program to adapt these things. Oh, man. Uh, Jake, is this a blessing in disguise or are you upset that we are not getting a live at, uh, live action, uh, Zelda series? I'm upset. I think of all the Nintendo franchises, Zelda works the best to do some kind of live action thing that would be respect, respectful to the source material. Um, this is typical Nintendo though. If things don't go a hundred percent their way, they get upset and they pull out. So it's very unfortunate. I think the, uh, claymation Star Fox thing sounds fucking awesome too. I'm, I'm sad we don't get to see that now either. Oh man. What if they teamed up with Leica Studios? <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Star Fox would work so well with that. Just the, with the character designs and the, and the starship battles, man, that, that could have been really fucking cool. Yeah. If you've never seen anything from Leica. I highly recommend watching Paranorman and then watching Kubo and the Two Strings. Like, that is just out of this world, insane, incredible animation. Joe, live action Zelda series not happening. Thoughts? Yeah, that's a bummer. Th- that was something when I heard the news of, I was really sad about. Um, l- like Jake was saying, I, I think the-, the Legend of Zelda, that storyline just really gives itself over to to being some sort of of you know property that you could watch as a show um yeah it's it's a real bummer and i mean nintendo does this with a lot of different stuff too don't they jake oh yeah yeah they're pretty notorious for putting the axe down when it comes to people doing it even when it comes to like game tournaments if they're not if they don't have their hands in they'll fucking shut down the game tournaments yeah, yeah, I think I was reading something about about the the way they handle gaming tournaments that, that really makes a lot of their fan base unhappy. Um, the the other thing that concerns me about this is that you know if these, some of these production companies had put some money in and were starting to move forward, and then Nintendo just abruptly pulls from everything in the future, I feel like that hurts their chances of being able to get this going again because you know production companies would be rightly gun-shy to get in bed with a company that's going to be so finicky. Yeah, I just don't think they give a shit. That's true. So. I mean, they've got their own little market. Yeah. You know, with, with with those games only releasing on Nintendo and stuff, I mean, maybe in their mind they're thinking, hey, we make video games, let's just stick to what we do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think Metroid also is another property that would be a fucking awesome like sci-fi horror movie. Well, and put, like, that was Charlie one of the Theron in there. Yeah, that was one of the first ones that popped into my head when you said Legend of Zelda. I started scanning through it. I was like, what else would be good? And Metroid was the first one. Well, Brie Larson. Um, Brie Larson has come out and said, "I want to play Samus." Oh yeah, that that's 
great casting as well. I, I think that property also really lends itself towards making a movie out of. So I don't know though, man, Nintendo is just so finicky when it comes to, um, licensing out their, uh, their stuff, man. And that Mario movie was bad, but Jesus, it's been what, 30 years now? <laughs> I say Mario movie was terrible. Give me the fucking Zendaya Metroid movie. Oh yeah, that's awesome too. <laughs> I'll, I'll take She's that. She's kind of short, isn't she? Zendaya? Yeah. She looks way crazy. taller in the, I don't know, she might be short, but she looks taller because she's, like, really thin and kind of lanky. You know? What's it matter, though? Tom Cruise is, is basically a short person as well, so... Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You can use movie magic and cover all that up. Peter, Most of it's going to be in the fucking suit anyway. Peter Dinklage. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't try to fool you with Peter Dinklage, though. <laughs> well, they did an Endgame. They did an Endgame! Yeah, yes, comically, though. <laughs> no, that was in, was it, was it, it was Infinity War. Where he showed it up. It was Infinity War. Yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into Even that, though, was kind of subverting expectations. I would have it loved really it. I would have loved to see a live action Zelda. I would fucking love it, man. To see, like, all, like, the props and the costumes and the world of Hyrule come to life. I, I keep thinking, like, where would they film? Where would they film Hyrule? Where would that even take place? I mean, it's just, oh man, yeah, it, it it sucks, man. That would have been awesome for Netflix to get that. Yeah, it would have been huge. It's it's unfortunate. I'm still definitely excited to see the uh, is it Illumination doing the Mario animated? Yeah, yeah. I think that could be a lot of fun. I hope I hope they do well with that. I agree. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of story that'll be because I mean, for sure, with my kids being the huge gamers they are, we'll be seeing that one right when it comes out. Oh, what is it? The, the Resident Evil reboot's coming out in September? Did I read that? I thought it came out. Oh, um. Well, there's a live movie. action. There's a live action and an, an animated CGI one. Yeah, I think you're right. It's late, late this year. Fucking Mortal Kombat bitches. Oh, I can't I'm wait. super excited for that. The only thing I'm worried about is this fucking new character of Cole that has like a birthmark of the Mortal Kombat, of the Mortal Kombat logo on his Oof. chest. Like, Oof. yeah, that sounds lame as fuck, <laughs> right? Come on. Yeah, wait, there's like 70 established characters. What are you making this clown up for? Dude, 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 <laughs> right. dude, dude. They, they, nowhere in the press release, they have never talked about Johnny Cage. We've never heard any news about Johnny Cage. It's all been about this Cole dude, this, this washed up MMA fighter. And it's like they've done away with Johnny Cage. And we're going to get Cole instead, man. That's the biggest mistake of all of this, is that character. I don't give a fuck about this. Cole. I have no attachment to Cole. This fighter with a birthmark of the... That's dumb. Of the His birthmark <laughs> is the logo. That's, a, that's fucking stupid as shit. But I love the fact that they've got, like, the... You know, one, some of the raid actors in this. Was it Joe Taslam? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the fighting in this is going to be second to none. So hopefully it can overcome uh, Cole and his stupid fucking birthmark. It's fucking rated R, and it's gonna sh- it's gonna feature legit fucking fatalities, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, this I, I'm good. excited. With how good Legend of uh, Scorpion was, also uh, Scorpion's Revenge. Scorpion's with Revenge. How good that is. Yes, this, this movie. I mean, it's got to have a good plot because Scorpion's Revenge was really, really good. It was, and and with this new live action one coming out 
so soon on the heels of that, the it blows my mind also that they don't have Johnny Cage in this. And it's, uh, I mean, because even in the original one and in that animated one, Johnny Cage's character in both of those was so good. And it's like, what? Why are you switching this up now? I, I kind of like. The it just feels that you guys like had in the past. It feels that, that maybe, maybe it is Johnny Cage. I've said that. I've said that was, that was my, that was my, that was my prediction, not prediction, but like a theory that I had talked about a couple episodes ago that this was an origin story for Johnny Cage. And, but even that just doesn't, a birthmark of the Mortal Kombat logo on his chest? Is it like DMK? Oh, it's like the dragon in the circle? Yes. Okay. Okay. Woof. Like that would work if he was like getting transported into the actual arcade cabinet or some dumb shit like that. But it makes no sense to be in this world and have the logo tattooed on. Dude, you. that's some fucking chosen one bullshit. And I love, you know what? I'm not opposed to chosen one stories. I love chosen one stories when they're done correctly. I felt like, you know, like if they're done correctly, I love like, you know, like the matrix, you know, I had no problem with Neo being the chosen one. A lot of people wanted that to be flipped and like Morpheus be the chosen one or blah, blah, blah. I had no problem with that. I had no problem with fucking Luke being the chosen one, you know, in, uh, in the star Wars franchise that, you know, I, I, I think I have no problem with the chosen one being chosen in being a part of these movies, but a, a fucking, a character with the logo on their chest? That's like, <laughs> that is dumb as fuck. <laughs> I hope they do that same thing for the Pac-Man movie. Oh that yeah. Character's got a fucking blue ghost right in his No, forehead. dude, they got fucking, <laughs> they've got fucking Namco on their ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Raymond E. Feist book that I used to read all the time in high school, a whole series of his books. But, uh, one of those books called A Darkness at Sethanon, the the main villain in it has a birthmark on his chest that's a dragon. It is the first thing I thought of when you said this. I was like, "Wow, that was like something uh, Raven E. Feist did in the mid '80s." I want a, I want a, I want a fucking cinnamon toast crunch movie with the fucking one of the one of the cinnamon toast crunch bakers with General Mills tattooed on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> that's so dumb. That, oh, boy, do you, oh boy! Oh boy! Oh uh, boy! Don't uh, do not fuck up this Mortal Kombat movie because we'll never get another one. It's like some crazy deal with the devil that you had to make to get an R-rated Mortal Kombat movie. It's like, you shall have your R-rated Mortal Kombat movie, but you must feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Mortal a overze- Kombat birthmark. It's like an overzealous producer attached. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You've got like an Avia rod that's like, I'm not going to bend on this. We have to have this in the movie. Yeah, it's like his son's idea. Yeah. My son really loves this character that he came up with that he always wanted to be in the game. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, let's jump into Marvel news. Mm, there we go. Marvel news. Marvel news. Uh, Did you just say that or was that an echo? That was me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Marvel's Blade movie finds its writer in Watchmen Scribe. 
Stacy Asai Kufour, a playwright who acted as story editor and writer on HBO's acclaimed limited series Watchmen, has been tapped to pen the script for the feature reboot of Marvel's vampire hunting franchise. She will be the first black female scribe to write a Marvel movie. The studio has spent the last six months meeting with writers in what was described as a meticulous search with Ali directing involved, uh, directly involved. Uh, only black writers were seriously considered a reflection of Marvel's focus on diversity and making representation a key factor, especially when tackling non-white characters. David Goyer wrote the three original Blade movies released by New Line back in 1998 and 2004. Created as a supporting character by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, Blade first appeared in Tomb of Dracula number 10, In 1973, becoming a cult favorite, he is a human-vampire hybrid thanks to his mother being bitten and killed by a bloodsucker during childbirth. What are the odds? What are the odds? He got real lucky. Man, that's like a a needle in a haystack. That's one in a million. Mommy got bit by a bloodsucker while she's prego. I'm a daywalker. Gots to kill me some vampires. That is a... What a story there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Tale as old as time. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Osai Kufour earned an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series for her work in Hulu's Pen15, but it was being part of the writing team on Watchmen, HBO's heady spin on the Alan Moore, David Gibbons, Dave Gibbons comic that got her noticed, as well as a WGA award win for Best New Series. She worked on Hunter's, Amazon's blood-soaked limited series that saw Al Pacino and Logan Lerman as Nazi hunters in 1970s America and HBO crime run thriller Run starring Donald Gleason. Uh, she's got quite the resume here, boys. Uh, what do we think about, uh, this, uh, this lady writing, uh, the next Blade movie? I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Watchmen series. I, Jake, I know you loved it. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I do love some of her other work. I, I want to know your thoughts, Joe. What are your thoughts on uh, on this? I'm excited about this. I I was a huge fan of, of of what they did with Watchmen, and I thought the writing in it was really stellar. So I'm pretty excited to see what she's going to do with Blade. Jake, yeah, I'm very excited as well. I also feel like this news almost confirms that there's a, a really good chance that this could be an R-rated movie. Like, just her resume makes me think that she's going to write this more mature than your typical MCU movie. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, rated R or PG-13? I think there's a good chance this might be rated R now. Same here. I feel like if you're going to do something like Blade, then it's... And also, we're kind of moving into this time in in the MCU where I think they really are flirting more with rated R titles with like Deadpool and stuff. So this is, would be a good one that would, you know, really play to that. I feel like it would be a stronger movie rated R than a PG 13 just because of the subject matter. Uh, I think we should just go with, um, PG 13. I don't want to see any blood in this movie, boys. It's a, it's a movie about a vampire hunter. I, 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 I don't for think the I've, kids. let's do it for the children. <laughs> 
Yeah, because you want to take your kids to a movie about a vampire hunter. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, nothing stops people from taking their kids to see these things. I mean, there were so many kids in that opening night of Deadpool 1. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's true. Um, but I guess more I was just looking at it is if you're comparing Marvel characters, you know, like Blade just doesn't seem like one for the kiddos like Spider-Man does. Well, the first three movies that came out from Fox were, oh, it was Sony, wasn't it? I thought those were Fox movies. It was, okay, it was Fox. Yeah, so like, those were all, those were all rated R. All three of them. The, the whole yeah. trilogy. Yeah. It was shocking to see it too. Like, we just really hadn't seen an R movie kind of like that ever until it came out. Just yeah. a comic book R movie. Well, most people didn't even know it came from a comic book. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I guess I was a little bit, in my own head, just being so familiar with the character from its his Spider-Man appearances throughout the history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope it's rated R. I even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Watchmen, I I don't know. I even though I wasn't the biggest fan, I think that like uh, her resume is very impressive, and uh, looking forward to seeing what she can do with with Blade here. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I hope it, I hope it's good. Uh, news from Bro Bible. Um, Don Cheadle, who's, uh, plays James Rhodey Rhodes, is now the longest tenured character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Isn't that wild to think that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, like he, he himself was a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is do you think Terrence Howard's like, man. That could have been me. <laughs> ah, you gotta think, man. You gotta think. Uh, he's revealed that War Machine will re- will appear in the upcoming Disney Plus series, The Falcon and Winter Soldier. In an interview with Bro Bible's post credit podcast, the fifty six year old fifty six looks great for that age. Fifty it sure does fifty six. All these, all even like you, you watch all these movies with all these actors, and they're getting older and shit, and they all look great. Salma Hayek. How old is Salma Hayek? She's like 90? She's in, she's in her mid fifties also. Uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, dude. Must be nice to have money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would not know. The 56 year old Academy Award nominated actor confirmed that Rhodes will show up in the upcoming Disney Plus original, which stars Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson and Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes. Quote, that's some, that's some of the fun of the MCU that we all get to show up in each other's stories. And there are ways that we're cross platforming these characters and they become storylines sometimes in the movies. And then these storylines in the movies become storylines in the shows. It's really, it's really a fun and interesting and all by um, all. It's really a fun and interesting and by all imagination, completely open-minded. Uh, excuse me, completely open-ended. I've drank too much vodka tonight. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> this is the vodka portion of the episode. This can go anywhere. It's great. I can't wait to get in the room with the writers and figure out how all these things connecting Armor Wars to the MCU happen. You know, Rhodey shows up in Winter Soldier and Falcon's show, so it can be a lot. So, yeah. Rhodey's gonna be doing his own show, Armor Wars. Armor Wars is gonna fucking tie into this show, Falcon and Winter Soldier. In addition to revealing War Machine's appearance in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, Shadow also touched 
on his own upcoming uh, Disney Plus series, Armor Wars, stating that the death of Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame will play a role in the series, which he said begins the writing stage of its production next month. Quote, the death of Tony Stark, I'm pretty sure, will play a role in the series. Where we've been sort of progressing Rhodey, even in the last film, where he's now up again, and he's now walking again, and he's now mobile again. So as the technology continues to develop, and we're, and we keep making innovations in the suit, and what happens? I imagine there's gonna be another elevation, and another way that we're gonna keep digging into that part of Rhodey. So yeah, um, fucking Rhodey's showing up in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, and it's gonna tie into Armor Wars. That's really cool. I'm very excited for Armor Wars. I, I just, I really hope we're just seeing a ton of these suits fucking going at each other, and it's not just a cop out title just to sell people on the series with the name that they recognize. You gotta have, uh, hope, you gotta have Sam Rockwell show up back in this. Oh, that, would, that would be oh, awesome. Please. I love that. Iron Man Two is not great, but one of the best parts about it is is Sam Rockwell's turn. Yeah, was it Hammer Industries? Yeah, Justin Hammer is that who he is? Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited about this news, man. I mean, anything after what we've been getting with Mandalorian and then what we're getting with WandaVision, like I'm I'm all in on all these different Disney Plus shows coming in. And it just makes sense with the way that the MCU does things that they're all going to be, you know, interrelated and all play off each other. And um, it's exciting to hear that Rhodey's going to be in this. And, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what what is the plot going to be with this? Because it seems like in Falcon Winter Soldier, Baron Zemo is going to be the bad guy. Um, so, I mean, are we going to see some sort of turn in this where it's, you know, kind of Baron Zemo coming back into power and then he's going to, like, make a play to try and get some, you know, some of, like, um, Tony Stark's old suits, like that sort of technology, and then that'll kind of move over into Armor Wars? I don't know. I don't know how much Baron Zemo is going to play into Armor Wars. Um I kept thinking that Baron Zemo is going to team up with Captain, uh, uh, the, uh, with, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And oh, that'd be interesting. I think he's going to team up with them and then we're going to find out that he's starting his own, um, oh God, Jake, Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts, that he's starting his own Thunderbolts. That's what I'm thinking, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong here. Nice. What, what, okay. We're excited about all these Disney Plus Marvel shows. Pitch to me your worst Disney Plus Marvel show. <laughs> oh, worst Disney Plus Marvel show. Yeah, what like, would that be? Like, like they are just like they're reaching now. Like it's like the worst Disney Plus Marvel show. <laughs> <laughs> like we're getting everything. We're getting everything, but like they're just like they're out of ideas, and they're just like. Uh, what are we gonna do? Mine would be like the the da- <laughs> the, the daily goings on at the at the convenience store that uh, Tom Holland Spider Man frequents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I was thinking in my head. I had on the road with Malekith. Malekith is <laughs> Malekith is dead. It's a prequel, Brian. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a, oh, so it's like a uh, yeah. So it's like we're on the road with Malekith. 
Yeah, we find out all about his his backstory and how incredibly fucking dumb and boring that could be. Joe, do you got an idea? Worst MCU. I'm I'm on that same tip as Jake because I was thinking it's got to be something that pulls from like one of the worst of the MCU movies, and so I was going Thor: Dark World also. (laughs) I was thinking something that ties in with the Warriors Three, and maybe during all that fighting Thor's doing at the beginning of that movie, but. Yeah, like a it's re- got to be, some, it's gotta be about, something from one of the worst ones, right? How about a reality <laughs> show where they add another warrior to the Warriors 3? <laughs> Marvel reality competition where you can be oh, the Warrior 4. Instead of, instead of calling it the Warriors 3, they call it the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, no, I, I got one better. Um, uh, it's it's going to be it's gonna be set in the past, and it's all with uh, Whiplash teaching you how to train your bird. Pretty bad. (laughs) Mine is going to be like, it's going to be Aunt May. It's going to be a four part series, and she's got a yeast infection. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end of it, we're just hoping that she gets it all cleared up. John Favreau turns in a really uh, harrowing performance in that series. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the part in Showgirls where Elizabeth Berkeley's character of Nomi was on her period and the guy didn't care? Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, I got towels. <laughs> what the fuck? What do you expect the guy to do? Wait a week? Do you remember the scene with her and Gina Gershon and they're talking about growing up and eating doggy chow? Oh. <laughs> it happened. And not like the awesome puppy chow made out of like chocolate chips and powdered sugar and shacks. Oh, I love that shit. I know. <laughs> That's the best, right? <laughs> Big difference between dog chow and puppy chow. Let's move into, let's move into DC news. <laughs> Last night, Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. You fucking pieces of shit. Ouch. Who has a bumper that introduces DC News that calls their listeners, you fucking pieces of shit, Jake? (laughs) The fucking ballsiest podcast out there, Pop Culture Leftovers. We don't fuck around, bro. No. Don't fuck around, you fucking pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> thanks for subscribing to Patreon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> dude, we're getting new Patreon patrons every fucking week, Jake. It's fantastic. That is awesome. Excellent. You've been you've been killing it with all the extra material too. I, I think it's really worth it for people to subscribe. News from Dark Horizon: Superman is not in the Shazam sequel. Did you guys see this news? No, I didn't no. see it. That's surprising. Henry Cavill will not appear as Superman in the upcoming sequel, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, reports of right. This is a rumor that uh, Superman was going to show up in one of these and that uh, we might get a uh, third film that actually has Superman versus Black Adam and and Shazam! We uh, uh, Variety's reporting this is not happening. The trade shot down several online reports suggesting Cavill would appear in the follow-up to Shazam. Their sources saying they have direct knowledge of the production and Cavill's schedule. 
Director David F. Sandberg also addressed the recent rumors on Twitter, bringing up that Cavill was supposed to appear as Superman in the 2019 film. They eventually just got a stunt performer and shot him from the neck down for a tiny cameo. Sandberg says on Twitter, not going to comment on casting rumors for several reasons. One being you can't be sure about anything until it's happened. Halfway through shooting Shazam, the plan was still for Cavill to be in it. Scoopers could have scooped that, scooped that and been right at the time, but wrong in the end. Cavill may return as Superman at some point, the trade confirming in May, saying Cavill was set to play a cameo as Superman in an upcoming DC film project, one that was not Justice League reshoots. In addition, Cavill has indicated he hasn't given up the part yet. So we've got news here from Variety that Cavill's not going to show up in Shazam, Fury of the Gods. What What is going on with the casting of Superman here? I, I want to know what you guys think. Is Cavill coming back as Superman? Think about this for just a second. Uh, Man of Steel came out in 2013. Guys, can you believe it's... We're two years away from that movie being like... That's a decade. We've already yeah, got our 10 year anniversary for Man of Steel. We've already got our second Wonder Woman movie, which was pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. We're getting a sequel to Aquaman. There's been no announcements of a sequel of, uh, of Superman. And we don't even know if Cavill's coming back to play the part of Superman. Yeah, it's super unfortunate. I, I really thought the idea of him appearing in Shazam and then building towards that three-way fight was, was a great idea, but it just seems more and more likely that Cavill may never be coming back. He wants to come back, and I think, like, I would love to see him come back under a different director other than Snyder and see what he can do, maybe with a proper script. Is Here's the bigger question. Is Superman himself ever going to come back in the DCU? I feel like they don't even know what to do with Superman. No, I feel like we're more likely to get some non-connected to the greater DC like movie universe Superman movie before we get Superman back in like the connected world of it all, like possibly some kind of Elseworlds Superman tale. Well, we're get, it feels like we're getting an Elseworlds Batman tale with Matt Reeves the Batman, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the direction we'll see with Superman before we see anything. Maybe, uh, what are you thinking? Maybe like a, uh, Red Sun film or something like that? I would, I would love that. That's, that's a great idea. Um, but yeah, just anything. Maybe like year one Superman stuff again, but just like not with a big focus on trying to connect it to a greater like comic book universe. I don't think that Henry Cavill's getting, a, I don't think he's gotten a fair shot at the character. No, he he had to play such a different interpretation of the character. I mean, like or love those movies. I, I think everyone will agree that it's not your your typical like Superman representation. Joe, what are your thoughts, man? Um, I was one of the people that I enjoyed Man of Steel. I loved it. I love. I mean, it. like Jake was just saying, it's it is a very big departure from the the Superman character that we we know from the comics and the Christopher Reeve movies um you know Zack Snyder's version of that was just so much different and but I still feel like the movie was good enough that it it blows my mind that that we've gone for 8 years now without 
getting any sort of follow up to it. And and I guess if the studios want to look at Batman v Superman as some sort of sequel to it, it's like I don't I don't know. I, I don't see that. I, I would like to see more of Henry Cavill playing Superman because uh ultimately I wasn't that big of a fan of Justice League, but the seeing Henry Cavill actually play Superman like with joy as the as he did towards the end of that movie was pretty cool. And so I think that with with a better story, with better writing, I think Henry Henry Cavill could be an excellent Superman. Are you and getting Are you getting Amy point, Adams back though? Here's the question. Like, like, that's the That's the thing. Like we always talk uh, about Cavill coming back, but like, what are they doing with Lois Lane here? Are we getting Amy Adams coming back to play the role of Lois Lane? Is that happening? Uh, potentially, oh. nothing's led me to believe that it couldn't happen. But she's a big name actor and. I'm sure she has commitments already in the books, so it's That's I don't true. know. It's hard saying. I don't think it's um, without possibility, though. I I think that that Warner Brothers in general needs to just let this DC EU idea just fizzle away, at least until they have somebody that's like on par with like what Kevin Feige is doing with the MCU. Until they actually have somebody that has a competent idea in mind of an overall scope of where things need to go they need to just let these movies be standalones and not connected to each other because so far with the way they've tried to do it it's been bungled so bad that it's like just let it go you've already got this new batman movie coming out that's a standalone you know let these things be standalones and if they can stand alone and they're fantastic then bring something into where you can try and bring these things together but if you don't have a, a cohesive idea in the first place and, and some sort of project leader behind it with vision that can carry it forward the way that Kevin Feige is doing the MCU. You just setting yourself up to fail because you've got such good competition that's doing it well. And they're doing it well on multiple levels. Now they're doing it well in TV and in movies. And I, I just feel like Warner brothers doesn't have a good enough shot it, until they can get a good base underneath them. And so far, they've proven that they can't do that. Very, very hit or miss with DC movies. They are not ready to commit to Cavill as being their Superman going forward. I think that, like, I don't know. That something's got to give once we get this Flash movie, right? I mean, something's got to give with Superman in the Flash movie. Or am I crazy here? Do they not have to address it in the Flash movie? Like, could we get this Flash movie and they not address it at all? That would be weird. It feels like with all the batman of it all going on the flash movie it it would feel weird and like a a blank spot to just completely ignore superman but i don't know hard saying i don't even i don't know i don't know what's going on i feel bad for cavill the guy is fighting for the role i don't think he's given a fair shake i don't know I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe the Justice League Snyder cut will be good for him. I mean, if that's really well received and people overwhelmingly love that, that could be another, you know, check mark for. I think it's, it's going to be just as divisive as every other Snyder movie, in my opinion. Okay. No, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I'm saying, like, hypothetically, though, if it is this monster hit, I mean, divisive or not, if it gets a shit ton of fucking streams. Then, you know, yeah, maybe but like, Cavill has proven, in my opinion, Cavill has proven himself time and time again. After I think he was great in The Witcher, I think I think he was great in Mission Impossible Fallout. 
I don't know what else this guy has to do to prove that he's Superman. He was their fucking darling there on social media for the longest time. He was like the litmus yeah. test for like what they were going to do going forward in the DC EU. And I mean, this guy has been, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel bad if he doesn't get an opportunity to come back, but I won't be surprised if they do recast him and he's left in the dust. <laughs> so I won't be surprised. Yeah. And, and well, and like you had brought up with Amy Adams is that if, if you have trouble bringing in the supporting cast that was around him in Man of Steel, and right. at, the, at that point, is it easier to just recast? Yeah, and, yeah. And start with a, a clean slate. If she's done, then like, what's the point in bringing him back if you got to recast Lois Lane? That, like, yeah, let's and, just I mean, yeah and, and you also get rid of the baggage of all the previous movies once you recast. Once you recast, you can revision. You don't even have to like have the history anymore. You can just start from scratch again. Yeah, yeah. News from IGN. Jake, you brought this to my attention. James Gunn has confirmed that the Suicide Squad is now fully finished and praised Warner Brothers for not even slightly interfering with the movie. Taking, nice. Taking to Twitter, Gunn replied to a fan who asked whether the studio was heavily involved with the Suicide Squad. In response, the director explained how he's given total creative freedom on the project, making every single choice himself, as Warner's gave very few notes. And it was his choice whether to take them on board or not. He also confirmed that he, uh, that he, that the movie has now reached completion. He was asked on Twitter, um, how much of this movie will be what you want it to be? Warner Brothers has a knack for editing a movie into shit. <laughs> Very blunt question. Yeah, that came from at just Ed Lang. And James Gunn responded, hashtag the suicide squad is fully finished and cut and I made every single choice and they never once even slightly interfered. They gave very few notes. They were usually good and minor and I took them if I wanted to and if I didn't want to. Warner's was creatively amazing. The Suicide Squad for the DCEU is one of the several major Warner Brothers movies that will be released in theaters and on HBO Max simultaneously this year. And with carte blanche to kill off any Suicide Squad members he wanted to, even Harley Quinn. Gunn has loaded up the movie with cannon fodder, cannon fodder obscurities like Blackguard, Javelin, Polka Dot Man, Savant, and more. James Gunn is praising Warner Brothers for basically letting him make the movie that he wanted to make. They said he could kill off any member of the Suicide Suicide Squad that he wanted to, and that includes Harley Quinn. Of course, that's not going to happen. No, I mean, no. James Gunn has already come out and said, like, they asked him, like, like um, you know, who, who has been your favorite person to work with? And he's like, Margot Robbie as, as Harley Quinn. He He praises Margot Robbie. As Harley Quinn in this movie. Um, so I don't think he's going to kill the character off. But um, I don't know. This has got to make a lot of fans very excited for the, to see the final cut of this movie. Yeah, you know it's going to like 100% be a James Gunn movie and not watered down in any way whatsoever. It's confirmed I, to be – Jake, it's confirmed to be rated R. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know if they let him do whatever he wants wanted to it was going to be rated r so 
Man, I this just this article just solidified how this is by far the most excited I am for any movie this year. Suicide I can't wait for this. Suicide Squad is your number one anticipated movie of 2021. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it is correct. I, and I can't believe that after how much I was burned by it was way up there for the first time too. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, those trailers were great. Yeah, I, I, yeah, except, I was like, wow, yeah. finally DC's got me. And, yeah. Um, oof. I, but man, I, just an R-rated James Gunn movie with just tons of characters, and really, it really sounds like this movie is the spirit of what the Suicide Squad is and was, and that was one of the biggest downfalls of the first movie was mm-hmm. it just didn't quite get the spirit of what this team was supposed to be doing, right? So yeah. oh, I, can't, I can't fucking wait for this. <laughs> Pete Davidson is gonna die so brutally in this oh, movie. You know it. <laughs> You know it. That's going to be hilarious. <laughs> did you guys watch? Like, did you guys watch the um, what was it when DC had like their big event online, like the DC Con or what was it called? I can't remember. I forget, but I know I, I remember the event you're talking about. Yeah, like like Pete Fan Dav- Con or something Fan, like that. Yeah, something like that. Pete Davidson was like the last one picked on the teams when they were choosing teams and stuff like that, which makes everyone think like. He was barely involved in this movie, and he dies very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just having him in there is is a good name recognition, and it'll be funny. Like he's just kind of a twerpy dude anyway, so that'll be funny to see him get his comeuppance. James Gunn's relationship with Warner Brothers does it end here, Joe? Hmm, I don't know. It sounds like he was pretty happy with him. So, I mean, I could see him staying on and making some more stuff with them. I mean, especially if if he's just going to be coming back to Marvel to just finish up Guardians and then head back out. If he had such a positive experience, you know, with the competition, then why not go back to it? Suicide Squad 3. Jake, is James Gunn involved? I think he very well could be. I think he very well could be. I we were Last time we brought up Suicide Squad, I brought up how it's unfortunate that he's not getting up proper theatrical release for this movie because i think this movie would do gangbusters it could have been maybe the highest grossing r-rated movie of all time potentially yeah austin deadpool yeah 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 i i honestly i think this movie could have made a billion dollars in the theaters had it not been covid yeah yeah i i think um i think this movie is going to be well received i think people will like it um I think he he could come back for for part three. We already know he's doing kind of a spinoff with John Cena and HBO Max. Peacemaker. So he's yeah, Peacemaker. So he's <laughs> yes. still gonna he's still gonna be within this universe even after this movie. So I could very much see him coming back and doing another one. I think James Gunn always kind of writes for a, another movie in his screenplays. There's always some open ended aspect to anything he does that lends itself for him coming back in the door. Dude, how about this? How about Suicide Squad 2 blows up, huge hit. Everybody wants to see James Gunn do more DC stuff, and so they let him write and direct Justice League. Yeah, I was thinking just give him Superman. Let him do fucking Red Sun or a Superman movie. Well, I was just thinking how good he does, you know, with the group. Yeah. And fuck, man, we need a good Justice I mean... The world deserves a good Justice League movie. (laughs) (laughs) The the problem with Justice League, though, is it just carries so much baggage when it comes to the cinematic universe. Like, 
he got no notes for this movie because it involved, other than Harley Quinn, a bunch of characters that really financially Warner Brothers isn't banking on for the next 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and my scenario is dependent upon, you know, Suicide Squad getting big enough to then where Warner Brothers says, fuck, goddamn. Yeah, here you go, man. I think I think if you give James Gunn the Justice League, he's going to have an idea. And that idea is just going to be it's going to be incredible. No, I agree with that. I, I don't I don't think he couldn't do it. I just think there's just so much baggage. Like it almost if he was going to do Justice League, I'd almost just rather it also be in its own. That's role. why I want him to be. I want him to be highly involved in everything that they do going forward. And that means even the Flash movie basically be, saying like, here's my notes on the Flash movie. Kevin Feige gave notes um, to uh, Amy Pascal about the Spider-Man movies. I feel like. And that was like cross studios. This is the same studio. I think James Gunn should be able to fucking give notes to these, uh, flash writers and be like, Hey, this is what you need to change. And this is what could set up my fucking justice league movie. Yeah, I agree with that. He would probably do a way better job than Jeff Johns. And, and I think he's good at that kind of stuff. I also think it's really cool how much, um, We've read about how Taika Waititi and James Gunn have both helped each other with each other's cross-studio movies. We know James Gunn has given input into Love and Thunder, and we know Taika has given input into the Suicide Squad movie. And I, I think they have a really cool friendship, and well, Taika, willing to cross lines to help each other out is really cool. Taika's playing a role in the Suicide Squad movie. It makes yes, perfect correct. sense. <laughs> correct. That's, That's so cool. And we don't, know, the, we don't know who he's playing, which is also cool. One of the things I really made fun of the first Suicide Squad movie for was its soundtrack. I, I believe I called it the soundtrack for assholes. Like, it was just terrible fucking music. And um, <laughs> Soundtrack for you, assholes. You didn't like that purple Lamborghini? No, I didn't like that. I don't like the... Oh, my God. The, the whole soundtrack was so bad. It was way too on the nose. It was like playing Credence in a Vietnam movie type of fucking on the nose. Um it was just so fucking awful. There's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> yeah. We came back we to that. Back. <laughs> but I, I'm really excited to see. I mean, I think one of the things James Gunn is currently most famous for are what he uses music for in those Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And I'm yeah. interested to see if music will also play a big role in a DC R-rated Suicide Squad movie. I have a feeling it will. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think so. I think so. I think the soundtrack is going to be huge. Oh my god, that's all the news I got this week. Any final thoughts on James Gunn and uh and Suicide Squad? Fuck, I just can't fucking wait. I can't wait to see a proper trailer for this thing. We've seen like the sizzle reels that came from that fan con that you were talking about. But I, I don't think we've seen a proper trailer. Oh for my this god, movie. we saw we saw King Shark eating a human being. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just, I really want to see an actual cut trailer for this thing. I think, and I think this is smart of Warner Brothers. I think they're really only promoting the next two movies that are coming out on the HBO Max yeah, at a time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're getting like Kong versus Godzilla, and yeah. Just so you know, I, I, I did talk about the Kong versus Godzilla trailer on a, a Patreon episode, so it's not like I have not. Acknowledge. What did you guys think about that fucking trailer, by the way? It was a super fun trailer. I, I yeah. thought it was interesting that they clearly are painting Godzilla as the heel and King Kong as the face, though. So, and that's that's the wise decision. No, they're going to team up and they're going to fight Mecha Godzilla, right? 
Oh, you think Godzilla will also be a face by the end of it? By the end, oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) Yeah, like in the trailer, Jake, in the trailer, like you see like this control panel and, uh, and then later there's like this still that you can see of what looks like Mecha Godzilla. So I think by the end of it, like these two are going to be fighting for like, you know, king of the monsters here. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if like, if Kong is going to beat him and become King Kong or if it's basically they're going to fight Mecha Godzilla and just team up. But I, I, I don't, neither one of them is going to die. And I think that, I, Oh no, no, yeah, no, no. I think at the end of this thing, it's, I think they're both going to team up and fight Mecha Godzilla. That's cool. I, that's that's the way to go. That's that. It's like Batman v Superman in that way, but in a good way, where you don't. <laughs> any 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 opportunity you have to knock any Zack Snyder film, you find a way. You find a way. It was the first thing I thought of, though, because it's it's these two iconic characters fighting each other. But even though you title the movie that, at the end of the day, it becomes, it's the it's the dawn of justice, and they got to fight Doomsday. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But here they're doing a much better job by not, like, telling you what's going to happen in the title of the movie. Jake, you know who I love having on these episodes? Uh, Joe Stark? Oh, spoilers, yes. Um, <laughs> I our love, favorite cokehead. I lo- our favorite fucking... <laughs> our fu- <laughs> How did you like my intro to you, Joke, where I called you basically a coke addict? <laughs> it cracked me up, man. I went along with it. You micro machine guy. You did. Um, the funny thing about Coke and me is that they didn't, they were oil and water. Like I, I tried it like, you know, like 20 fucking years ago. Oh I was, my like, God. I, a teenager. Uh, I would, and, I, I, I should have tried it years ago. I should have, but I think, I think with my personality, I would have loved it too much. With I me, I didn't even imagine you on Coke. Oh my God. No, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> That's the $50 Patreon tier level. Yeah, well, this is welcome to Patreon where Brian gets coked out of his gourd. <laughs> you got to pay 50 bucks for this one because I got to get my next fix. Yeah. <laughs> like, but my sinuses have always been too sensitive, so it didn't work out for me, and I actually had like a, a, a thing happen that's like something from a bad movie where there's lines on a mirror, a guy does one line and then sneezes and blows all the lines off the mirror and everybody freaks out. That happened to me. Uh, <laughs> you were a sneezer? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> People were not happy. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this isn't even fun anyway. It's like, you do this, you get all amped up in five minutes, you want to do more, and it's expensive as fuck. It's like, no, no, you, fuck can, that. you can buy two Red Bulls for $4. What are you fucking around with cocaine for? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I tried it just because everyone else was doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there too. And I found it was not for me. And and yeah, so now I I have enough nervous energy on my own. I I don't need to have anything fucking amp me up more. But no, no. I guess stick to, the, stick to the opiates, Joe. Stick to what you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that was like, you, you, you went, you went, you went all fucking like TLC, don't go chasing waterfalls with that. (laughs) Stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, oh man. Stick, stick to the whippets. Mm. <laughs> oh, I've done whippets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I did whippets. Five whip- seconds of glory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. All right, guys, we are going to uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with WandaVision, where I forget to play the WandaVision bumper. <laughs> I was thinking that just like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to add that in in post, right? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm going to play it right now. I'm going to play it right oh, now. I love so, it. I love there it. There we go. Perfect. Here you go. Here you go. Because I forget to play it when we fucking do our WandaVision shit. WandaVision. 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 The best of me. (laughs) Now now I played it and I feel better. This episode is... Now we can start this segment official. (laughs) The the, the episode is complete, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I love having Joe on these episodes, Jake. You have no idea. Oh, yeah. Joe's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I, I, I love coming on and talking with you guys and, um... It's whenever you reach out to me, Brian, and ask me if I can be on. Like whenever I check my schedule and realize I can't, it's always so heartbreaking to be like, "Fuck, I can't." Uh, <laughs> so I mean, it, it just means the world to me that you have me on, and and I have so much fun talking with this stuff. And and I, I, dude, after seeing episode five of Wandavision and then realizing, oh my god, I'm gonna get to talk about that with you guys. I've been looking forward to this all week. Dude, love having you on. You know who doesn't get excited anymore? Who who actually plays like they don't get excited anymore to be on these episodes? Who that? It's a one Stephanie Chapman. <laughs> she tries yeah. to play. She tries to play it all cool. I love having her on. I think I'm going to ask her on to come on next week. I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her to tomorrow. She wants to come on for next week. You just always got to make sure it's not a big Star Wars news episode. Oh. God. <laughs> then we gotta listen to her talk about you know you know I've, I'm not a big Star Wars person. <laughs> that's the key. That's the key to good Stephanie Chapman episodes. I, low Star Wars content. Low Star Wars content for Stephanie. Uh, yeah, there's going to be huge Star Wars breaking news next week, Jake. <laughs> and we're going to have Stephanie Chapman on. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask her if she wants to come on. I love having her on. She's good people. Oh, for sure. I love having her on. Joe, thank you so much. We're going to come back. We're going to do Wandavision, which it feels like. We've already—I don't know—it feels like we've already talked about WandaVision. It's so weird. Yeah, I think we need to take like a three-hour break, let you sober up a bit, and then we'll talk about some WandaVision. Mm. All right, I'm going to take us out to this to this <laughs> to this song. Hold on. There's a bathroom on the right, everybody. Don't forget that. Just like all good leftovers say on their doggy bags. There's a bathroom on the right. We'll see you next week with episode 300. What are, what are we on? 360. What the fuck are we on? What episode is this? 360. I think this is the wrong person to ask. <laughs> this, is, this is 367. We'll see you next week with 368. See ya. Later. Oh, yeah. 
Leftover Army. You should follow the leftovers on Instagram at instagram.com slash popcultureleftovers and on Tumblr at popcultureleftovers2.tumblr.com. If you get a few shots of vodka in you, it's almost as sexy as my voice. That's gangster. All right. Welcome back. We're going to be talking about WandaVision. This was episode five that came out. It was titled A Very Special Episode, which is something that happened in a ton of different sitcoms back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, basically, you know, they'd have that one episode where, I don't know, Kimberly was fucking bulimic or Dudley got raped in a bicycle shop or... Drug use sometimes. Yeah, drug use. I mean, there's all these different... uh these and they'd call them a very special episode. Sometimes they were one parters, sometimes they were two parters. Like Sam when he got kidnapped on. Oh yeah, Sam got kid almost got kidnapped on uh, different strokes, and Kimberly actually got kidnapped on different strokes in one season. They were like, "We're not wow. done with kidnapping storylines. We've got plenty more." Well, I don't think we've. I think we've barely touched the iceberg. Uh, with the kidnapping stories here on different First one strokes. must have really heated up the ratings. Yeah. Like, oh, we gotta do that again. Yeah. They, they put a really big deposit down on a panel van and they need to get their money out of it. Yeah, they had, uh, was it Conrad Bain? They had him get kidnapped in one and he was like, in a, in a well, shitting in a bucket. It's dark. It <laughs> <laughs> is a very special episode. It was fucked up. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this one's set in the 80s. I, I'll i be honest with you. I, I enjoyed the episode quite a bit. There's a lot of revelations and things that we learned in this one. But I don't think that it was the best representation of, like, 80s sitcoms, in my opinion. No, I'd agree with that. Um, it's unfortunate that we have to do the smash cuts back to the, uh, you know, proper world as much as we do. I think that takes away a little bit of the charm of what was going on in the first three episodes. Yeah, it's hard to- but they open that up. I think that, I think once you open that up, you got to start doing that now. In my, that's, I just I don't, th- I, 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 I don't think my biggest problem with this one is it just, it felt, it didn't feel like an, 80s sitcom it felt more like an it just didn't feel as authentic as the first three that were set in the 50s 60s and 70s i mean it even starts off with like the wrong aspect ratio it's in a widescreen format and i'm like okay why is it in the widescreen format that wasn't introduced until years later we didn't get widescreen in the 80s it should still have the bars on the side i was a little confused that that didn't like annoy me so much but it, it did stick out and it just didn't feel like, and they were going for like in the, in the opening title sequence, they definitely went with family ties. Oh yeah. With the painting. With the photos and the paintings. Well, the, yeah. the photos, that's straight out of Growing Pains. Yeah. The photos are straight out of Growing Pains. And if you find out, uh, the director, um, Matt Shackman, he was a child actor and actually appeared on a couple episodes of Growing Pains. Oh, nice. Yeah, if you go back and he was on Webster and he was on a bunch of different, um, sitcoms. I, uh, I don't know. I, I I just wasn't, I I don't think that they did a great job in the eighties here. It just didn't feel, and maybe they, maybe, maybe they felt like eighties were played out or something with all the stranger things and stuff like that. I just think they've just been so authentic with everything else. I felt like this should have been a little bit. It should have felt more like an 80s sitcom, and I just don't think it did. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of like that 80s show, the way they did it, where they just, like, 
really obnoxiously dropped 80s references like, oh, I'm saying jazzercise. Yeah, yeah. It was more of that than it was like just being authentic to what 80s sitcoms were like. Yeah. <clears throat> I I think at this point in the story, though, it's it's probably that they're just more pivoting towards like delving into the plot. And so they they're just not putting as much attention into those little details. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you'd think that they would have caught something like the aspect ratio. I, I hadn't even thought of that until you brought it up. Um, but it, it does seem like a lot of the, you know, the kind of the, the charm from those earlier episodes where it was, you know, making it fit so close into it. Maybe part of this also is that as our, you know, characters in this are starting to really feel out the, you know, the edges of the box that they're in, it's going to, you know, they're not going to drop as nicely into those themes as they were in the past when they were more oblivious to it. I, yeah, I think you're onto something there. I, I, if that's what they were going for here, then that makes sense. A hundred percent. Um, some of the, I, I, my notes are jumbled for this episode. I have a lot to say, and we've got some emails and things like that that I do want to go over. I did, I'm definitely still in the camp, and I, I want to, well, tell you what, let's start off with this. How did you, what were your overall feelings with this episode, Joe? Did you like it? Did you not like it? You have a rating? I mean, it's, a, I mean, I'm just curious. And what's yeah, been your experience, what's been your experience for the show? With the show, I've, I have loved this show, dude. Like um, the the week to week nature of it has been absolutely perfect. Uh, my both my boys have been absolutely loving it as well, and so we speculate together, you know, during and after the episode. Uh, my thirteen year old was like googling stuff earlier, and like he came up to me, he's like, "Do you know who Mephisto is?" I'm like, "You're googling stuff, aren't you?" Well done. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so I mean, this has just been fantastic on multiple levels for me. But, like, back in the day, I was, like, the hugest fan of Lost. And mostly it was because of the mystery it was presenting. Mm. And it was an <laughs> ongoing mystery. In each episode, it would spoon feed you just a little bit of an answer while at the same time opening up so many more questions so that you're just continuously just dwelling on it throughout the week and just really waiting till that next episode and see – what little amount that they're going to spoon feed you again, but knowing for sure that they're going to open up more mysteries before you. And that's exactly what this show is doing. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic, man. And it's, and it also, it's like, it's pushing me to, I haven't gone all out because I, I haven't delved into spoilers or anything like that because I've been enjoying the mystery of it, but it's been making me delve into those older comics that, that I haven't read as much. Um, and so I went back and read uh, House of M and then Tom King's Vision Run. Yeah, this then, one really pulled from his Vision Run, didn't it? Having the dog named Sparky, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Which yeah. was pretty fucked up in the comic because <laughs> yeah, it is just gross in the comic how Sparky comes about. Tragic and gross. Yeah. It's like yeah. The, the end of uh, issue five, I believe. I don't think they're going to go the route that they did in the comic um, as far as bringing the dog back. No. I don't think so either. Yeah. But um What'd you think, Jake? Uh what'd you what would you rate it, Joe? I'd give it a Tupperware. Tupperware. Jake. I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved this episode too. I thought of the five episodes, it may not have been the best, but it had some of the um best imagery. There was a lot of really great still scenes in this episode I really loved. Like the uh, them rising above the couch to confront each other. Like just that frame would be such an awesome poster and had a lot of really cool moments like that. Um, I like the stuff going on with um, Monica's character in this episode a lot too. It definitely seems like we were onto something when we were talking about is there a chance that 
she has superpowers by the end of this series. It, it definitely seems that way after this episode. Yeah, let's um, jump into that real quick since you brought it up. I think that with the MRI not having anything on it, that she's definitely got some sort of cosmic radiation. They they keep the, the last episode. They talked about the cosmic, the CMBR, which is that mm-hmm. cosmic radiation. Yep. Do you think that that is what is going to eventually create the mutants? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think, um, I think Monica getting thrown through that barrier is probably what's going to push her to be more like her comic character. And when she took that x ray, it's like, that's why she wasn't really seen in it. Yeah. Because it's, it's more just reading her is, because I believe her, her, I'm not super familiar with her character in the comics, but from the research I've done uh, after this episode, it's like she can turn into pretty much any form of energy. Yeah, yeah. And if you pause that scene, you can see like the outline of her like shoulders and neck and just that it's like all light filled in in between there. I I, I honestly think that this CMBR, this cosmic radiation that Wanda is containing within Westview is going to get out. It's going to be a little bit more widespread. It could create the mutants on the flip side. Who else, as far as a superhero within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, well, in the comics... Uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, lives in New Jersey. I see her possibly, this like, could explain where she gets her powers, this show. Like, we could start off. I at like the, that a lot. We could start off at the beginning of the new Ms. Marvel series and see events that happened in WandaVision and then see how those events affected her and gave her her powers. So, I, yeah, it's, de- it's a definite possibility. When Monica gets, visibly upset and looks are exchanged between, you know, Jimmy Woo and Darcy about bringing up Captain Marvel. She seemed really upset about Captain Marvel. And I think I know why I think it's because Captain Marvel didn't show up to visit her mother when she was going through her cancer treatment. A hundred percent. I said the same thing to Michelle. I, I said, obviously Captain Marvel didn't show up at a time when Monica emotionally needed her. And, you know, she, she's out doing her thing. She, how could she have known they, that they don't have a cell phone to contact her with. So, well, her just, mom is the leader of sword. And I think sword was kind of basically kind of formed between probably between Captain Marvel, the scrolls and, and Nick Fury. But I think yeah, I just like I Nick Fury, Nick Fury had a, okay, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think Captain Marvel would have ditched her on purpose. I think had she known the circumstances of what was happening, that her friend was dying, she would have shown up. I, I assume she was pre, predisposed. I, I think that she couldn't, yeah, 100%, she couldn't get there for one reason or another. But we don't know if there's like, if they had a way to like communicate with her or not. And, you know? and we also don't know if they, because we know that Captain Marvel came back to Earth after the snap. So that means after Monica was dusted and her mom was still yeah. in the hospital, she still had a, what, two or three years before she died. And we know that Captain Marvel came to Earth after Monica was dusted. So it's possible that, that they connected at that point, but Monica just wouldn't be aware of it. That's true. That's, That's a very point. true. Yeah. 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 I just don't see Captain Marvel being the type of person that would not show up 
to her friend um, when her friend's going through this. Um, mm-hmm. In this episode, there's another thing, I, you know, and I'm not – I. I I 100% believe, and I don't know if you guys are still on track with this, if you still, I still don't think that, I, I still don't think that Wanda's 100% behind all this at, at all. I think this oh, is, it seems like she's for sure not after this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, they, they tried to make it in the last one. It's all Wanda. It's all Wanda. And I, it's, I don't think that it is. I mean, there's a lot more, going on here than just that um i still think that aim is involved i think that we're going to get the reveal that that hydra has become aim i'm going to get into all this and why i think that and i also think that this could definitely bring still bring about the mutants um vision at the beginning of this episode is you know talking about how he was trying to read darwin's the descent of man to billy and billy was crying and and um didn't like it and that book, it's about the evolution of man. So this is it. Is this just a Easter egg, a, a tease that they're hinting at the next evolution of man turning mutant? I can see that as being an Easter egg for that. I never, I never took it that way. I thought maybe he was just crying because that's not necessarily how he was evolved. That's the created. joke, and that's the joke in the sitcom world. Yeah, that's the joke in the sitcom world. But it feels like there's all these different things that kind of like. That we see, we, uh, what do we see? We see, uh, in like a previous episode, we saw like a painting of Baron von Strucker's castle hanging on the wall in a previous episode. I mean, there's still like anything in the home could, uh, well, I think it was in the second episode, the bewitched episode. Uh, if you pause the frames, you see the vase, um, that looks like it could be an urn and it's got, uh, what looks like the, the Marvel character of wizards, uh, wizards, um, um, uh, was it like feather? I don't know. I don't know what those things are called. Those wings. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking. About. I don't know what the, the I don't know the technical term. technical term for what that is. But I mean, there's a lot of things in the house that I think are symbolic. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. And I, I at first I wasn't too keen on like all the mutants happening from this series, but the last two episodes have really made that a lot more possible to me than ever before. Speaking of symbolism, the commercial in this one, we've got symbolism in the other commercials, but the symbolism in this one was really kind of like on the nose. It was uh, for Lagos uh, paper towels. And yes. if you remember what happened in Captain America Civil War at the very beginning, um, Lagos is where... I, Crossbones tries to blow himself up and kill Captain America. And then the blast is contained by Scarlet Witch, who then contains the blast and she starts sending him up into the air and she can't control it. She's new to her powers and it blows up near the side of a building and kills a bunch of people. And there's some Wakandans that are involved in that explosion and die as well. And, this commercial is basically talking about cleaning up messes. Well, that's mm. a, that's a, she made that mess in with a red spill on the counter. Right. Yeah. 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 Very symbolic. And so I think that we're probably, you know, we're going to get at least get two more commercials because we know we're going to go to the ni- uh, 90s and the early 2000s with these sitcoms. I would guess that the next commercial is going to be about Pietro. Um 
and I think like these are like tragic things that have happened to her in her life, these, these, these commercials. And then probably the last one's going to be the loss of vision. I would imagine it might be some kind of like, I care thing where like somebody's glasses are not working or something. <laughs> Have you heard the the theory that each commercial so far has been connected to an infinity stone? I've heard that as well. Yeah, six stones, um, six commercials. Um, I've also heard uh, you know the hexagon has six sides, six stones. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So um, and. Uh, I've also heard the the there's a theory out there on Reddit that the that the uh, CMBR cosmic radiation is what is left over from the Infinity Stones. So, oh, I like that. So, like, what if they were like trying to coalesce back together or something? Yeah, yeah, or or inhabit. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking maybe they'd. They because we know that there's physical embodiments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the infinity stones so i don't know if that's where they're gonna go but like i i you know and 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 the ancient one already said that yeah you can dust the stones but there's it's still they're still present right yeah yeah they're gonna make they're gonna be important again in future movies they're just such important pieces in marvel mythology i'm pretty sure the stones will find their way back to reality in one way or another yeah um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I really, I, I, of course I want to talk about the big thing that happened at the end. Um, and I want to talk- I thought this episode really cemented that Agnes is Agatha Harkness too. Yeah. 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 I agree. Well, okay. Uh, so she's, she's basically, she's definitely working for, if, if we're to believe that Mephisto is going to be showing up in this as the big bad villain, she's basically kind of like the right hand man to Mephisto, right? That's what it seems like. If not a right-hand man, then like the first pawn. Yeah, it's one way or the other. She's either the right-hand man or actually trying to keep Wanda calm for Wanda's own good. Uh, She keeps doing things that I think are nefarious and I think working towards Mephisto's plan here. One of the first things that she did, and I think it was like the first episode, is she was basically talking about how, you know, they had moved into the neighborhood and she's like, oh, you know, yeah, you're married, you have a husband. Oh, what about kids? What about kids pushing them to have kids? The next thing we know, by the end of that episode, she's pregnant. You know, um, by the end of one of the episodes, she's pregnant, but she's pushing them to have kids. And there's another t- time in this, she mentions the devil is in the details or something, right? She, there's like a quote that she used and it's like, it's like, it, I felt like she was kind of like alluding to Mephisto. Oh yeah, definitely. I, that quote made me feel that as well. Um, I see the impression that she's I, stuck there though. Like I get the impression that she's trapped there and that's why she's like drinking and stuff all the time. Yeah. I, okay. It's like, how do I while yeah, away this? It's fucking not a fun boredom? job. I agree. She's doing. I think she's stuck there. I think that, but there's certain things that have to take place within this quarantined area of Westview. Um, and, 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 one of those is like having, you know, having the twins, I think because the kids are going to eventually the daddy's going to want to come for them. And, 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 and if it is Mephisto, if, if, if they have come from Mephisto and it's like pieces of his soul and, and mixed with Wanda and that's, and when we found out in this episode that she is making physical manifestations of things, solid objects, I think that daddy's going to come for the kids. 
Yeah, I agree. Wiccan, I agree. Those, yeah. those kids are, it's not going to be a happy ending, at least at first for those kids. Um, what's your speculation as to who the, the specialist that, that Monica brought up was? She said it was a, yeah. a specialist in like, um, she was texting like aerospace person. engineering. I have no idea. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, yeah I, I like the the like the the real hell Mary guess is that it's going to be Reed Richards. Oh, oh wow. I've seen people thinking that that was going to bring Fantastic Four in. Well, and there's the thing last week. Everybody was talking about how like the the man made like the the man the manned missions to space is like dismal. It's like not good, and people were saying like the Fantastic Four got lost in space. I don't like that at all. Well, what if this? What 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 if they? I mean, and I'm not saying I like this because I really do think that this would kind of derail what they've got going on. But I mean, it is a barrier of cosmic energy, and the Fantastic Four is one of those Marvel teams that was transformed and given powers by you know an unprotected brush with cosmic energy. So it'd be kind of interesting if it was Reed Richards and he had a team with him that was the Fantastic Four, and then they push through and it gives them their power. Mm. But I think it would derail what what's going on with the show. Yeah. I'm still, I still wish that, you know, like this family went up in the sixties and they never came back. That's a cool idea. I've, I've always liked that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then they finally come back and yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with fantastic four. I can't wait for that. Um, I do think that in, in this one, I, I still think that Hydra has become aim. We, and I think that this Hayward is like the leader of this group um, that has infiltrated S.W.O.R.D. I think that there are S.W.O.R.D. agents that are trying to do the right thing. And then I think that, you know, like Monica Rambo, But I do think that like there are some of these members of S.W.O.R.D. that are actually AIM members. And uh, that have, you know, Hydra has then turned into AIM and... Um, I mean, we see it in this episode. There's like, there's a point where Jimmy Woo is having an exchange with Hayward and they kind of like, you know, Hayward kind of like shuts him down and, and sends him back over to Darcy. And Darcy's like, yeah, he's a, she's getting ready to say he's a dick and she doesn't get to finish her sentence. And the next word that comes out of his mouth, Hayward's mouth is terrorist. So it's like, it sounds like, like we heard a sentence that, you know, he is a terrorist. And I think that that was like on the nose, basically telling us like, this is the guy that we got to worry about. This is our villain. And we saw him do villainous things in this episode. Yeah. I mean, lots of villainous shit. Why was vision in a bunch of pieces? If he had a living will saying that his body wasn't to be fucked with. Right. Right. I think Wanda just was, in, I think Wanda was just showing up to get him out of there. Cause she is like keen to this. She knew that, they were doing this and so she got his body out of there and why all this other stuff is happening. I, I we're going to find out. I think, it, I think a lot of it has to do with, I think Wanda is actually protecting everyone on the outside from this, these cosmic radiation waves, whatever's going on there with possibly with Mephisto. Um, I think that Mephisto might be the head of aim indirectly because there's also in this, where right before the footage is shown to everyone, he Hayward says, 
I got authorization this morning to show you this. He's the head of Sword. Why would he have to get? Who's he asking authorization from? That was my first thought too. Is who's giving this guy authorization? Well, there's definitely a bigger organization here at play, and I believe it's AIM. And I believe that like once Hydra lost Red Skull, you cut off the head of one fucking mad terrorist, you get another one. And I think Mephisto is kind of like the devil, you know, that is uh, that is made a deal with Hydra. And put, you know, and put them back into power somehow. And, uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, am I getting in the weeds on this one or is, do you guys see where I'm coming from? No, I, I follow that perfectly. I, I really, I definitely think Hayward is not on the level one way or another. Is he reporting to AIM? I don't think that's completely far fetched that it couldn't be true. I, there needs to be a big, bad, evil cabal type group in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like at all times, so I I definitely can see you can't have shield and sword and Hydra's completely done and no opposition and aim is a perfect set of baddies I think for that. We got an email uh, from a listener, Jerry. He said uh, it was titled uh, "WandaVision: Vision's Body," and it goes on to say, "Where is Vision's body in the past five years?" This is before this episode came out, and and he and, and Jerry said, "I think Sword has his body." Director Hayward freaks out when he sees Vision on the TV and he leaves and he leaves for the headquarters. They have reanimated him with scroll tech is what he's saying. We are getting all white vision like in the comics. This is the last scene in the series. Remember, Hayward changed what W means in sword. He changed it to weapon. I think that they I I I'll agree with some of this. I, I You're dead on with the sword has his body and, and Hayward freaking out because Hayward was definitely behind this. Um, but as far as reanimating him with scroll tech, I, I don't know. I don't know this. I'm, I'm on the fence with that. I definitely think that it also could be a deal that he's made. Um, a deal has been made with Mephisto and they've used his AI and someone else is actually behind Vision that has lost their identity. Just like, you know, some of the, the Roger Wardell rumors. But I don't know. We'll see. Do you think that that was really Wanda who came out of the barrier at the end? Or do you think that was maybe Mephisto, like, impersonating Wanda? I think I it, it was weird that her, all of a sudden her accent came back. Well, she, she, her, her accent's been coming back when she gets angry. Okay, I guess that tracks. Even in even in the previous episode when Ultron was brought up, she did that Sokovian accent came back when she said Pietro. Yeah. I mean, it's coming it was back here, here a little and there. bit too when she stepped out of the perimeter of of Westview. Well, that's what that's what Joe said. That's yeah, what Joe yeah. just said. He said like, um, I think that's what did you say that Joe? He was talking yeah. about it coming back when she was taking Vision's body. No, I, I meant when she stepped outside of the, the yes. house. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of everybody, because I was wondering if that was, if that was really her. I, I, cause I think it's her. Like, it feels like there's this pull inside of her. Like at times she has no fucking clue what's going on, and at other times she's a hundred percent in the driver's seat. So it's like, is there some sort of split personality in her mind? Is is if it's not a split personality in her mind, is this? Well, she said she said on the couch. All of her at times. She said on the couch division. She's like, I don't even know how this all started, and I think that kind of goes back to like Mephisto, possibly. 
uh, Mephisto and Ag- Agatha Harkness, possibly. You know, yeah, because maybe that's part of the bargain. Is yeah, that it's like hey, it's not going to be enjoyable for her if every time she looks around, like like she got that flash of yeah. vision for how how he really is for a moment. And I mean, what? Why she's quarantining everyone in there? And but why is she protecting everyone else on the outside from the cosmic radiation? Um, and another thing that I have question with is Herb in a previous episode. Um, when he's cutting down that brick wall, he says, he's trying to say something like, we're all, and basically talking about all the residents of, um, all the residents of Westview. And he's trying to say something to Vision. He keeps trying to say, we're all, we're all, and I'm thinking, what is he trying to say? And I, and the only thing I could think of is maybe they're all descendants of, of witches. Is that silly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just thought it was something simple as trapped. Because even Maybe. that vision wasn't quite like clued into that going on at that point yet either. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking trapped or he was thinking that they were maybe dead. Yeah. Because wasn't there like an early an early trailer for the show where it had Catherine Hahn's character in a car telling Vision, you know. I thought you were, we're dead. All we're all dead because you're dead or something like that. No, she said, she says something like he says something to her and then she's like, yeah, well, and I thought you were dead. Hmm. I don't know. That shit with her was weird though. And how good are those hedge clippers? If they'll cut through a brick wall, I know it was like a fucking lightsaber. <laughs> totally. <laughs> And I just thought that him cutting through the wall was a metaphor for what he was trying to say, but wasn't allowed to. Actually it was. It was definitely. It was. It was breaking the the fourth wall, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I just wanted to know like what he was trying to communicate. And you're probably right. I'm probably reading too much into that because um, I, you know, Jake, I did send you guys the 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 new Salem theory what did you guys think about that it's from multi uh, murphy's multiverse the new salem theory i liked it i thought one thing that i thought was really interesting about it was the guy came up with the theory before even seeing a single episode so he was really keened in to this whole westview thing before even even seeing an episode and i thought that was really bright of the guy um i liked it a lot I, they're gonna have to explain agatha harkness they're gonna have to explain why she has powers, who she is. And I think the witch stuff works to introducing that kind of thing into the MCU with the, the new Salem and the descendants of witches and Marvel kind of continuing the story past where it happened in reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like that theory too. And, and I think we're going to get a lot of those answers. It, it just feels like in one of these upcoming episodes, there's, there's gotta be an, an Agnes episode of some sort. That, that clues us into her a little bit more because it feels like every episode we get an increasing amount of weirdness from her. I mean, in this last one, when basically she revealed that she knows that this is all fake. I mean, she's like, should we take that from the top again? And it's like, what? Like her, her and the postman. Well, like they, they seem to both know what's going on. And yeah. so it really has this, I don't know. I think that that theory does hold water, that, that, that this could be some sort of special town um, that 
for sure that article is worth reading into too. I mean, it's the amount of different places that it comes up with, like in the actual United States, that's Westview and associated with some sort of, you know, Salem was pretty astounding. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll link that article in our, in our show notes, uh, for people that did want to, did want to check that out. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I keep flipping. I was talking with Dan West. Dan West thinks that, uh, let's talk about at the end of this one. Um, we got Pietro recast. Quicksilver is back, but recast as Evan Peters, which is actually kind of not a recast. It's actually, he played the part before. I don't think that this is introducing multiverse Fox universe Pietro, but Dan West thought that that could have been um, Mephisto. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that being pushed around quite a lot, that it's Mephisto playing mind tricks with Wanda. And yeah, I do agree that it's not Fox Universe Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Darby line about the recast is kind of pointing you into that direction. Um, I don't think it's a 0% chance that this is Mephisto and well, this, the disguise he's taking. Because our other choices for who Mephisto is, if Mephisto is someone we've seen on screen, are, are very limited. The Stork, I think, could have been Mephisto um, showing up. The magic didn't work on... Here's the thing. And the reason I think that I thought it last week, and I, I think that there's proof of it possibly again this week, she used the magic on... The stork, it didn't work. The stork didn't go anywhere. We saw red poof. Now you could just say red is, you know, Scarlet Witch. But it's also red could definitely be associated with Mephisto. The other thing that I wanted to point out is that if Billy and Tommy are the children of Scarlet Witch and Mephisto, that when Wanda tried to have Billy and Tommy, when they were babies, go to sleep and the magic wouldn't work on them, that would make sense. That Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. connect the dot there. Um, I definitely buy into your stork theory, and it could easily be all of the above, too. Like, Mephisto's could be the stork, could be Evan Peters' Quicksilver, you know. Well, His the magic st- could be infused into the twins. I keep thinking that, you know, you think of storks and, you know, when they're used in, like, you know, these these stories and stuff like that, and, and in cartoons, animation and stuff like that, the stork brings the babies. So... You know, that's where babies yeah, come from. If you from. know your comic lore, it's Mephisto that's bringing the babies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, yeah, man. I, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in the next, you know, we've got, what is it, four episodes left? And I keep hearing the rumor of a possible, like, secret 10th episode that, but I don't know if that's true, if there's any stock in that at all. That'd be cool. Yeah, I love that idea. I keep thinking a that cliffhanger, one... <laughs> and then just boom, there's one more episode. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking that there's going to be definitely a post credit scene in the final episode. Like all these times that we've been sitting around for seven minutes of like credits, I do think that <laughs> in the final one we will finally get something in the post credits. I agree with that a hundred percent. The MCU is famous for post credit sequences. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to not do them at the end of every episode. And just like the movies, you do them after the last scene of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Speaking of going into those credits, um, at the end of almost every, or at the end of episodes one through four, doesn't it zoom in on Vision's eye? Every episode it zooms. At the end of this one, at the end of five, it zoomed in on Wanda's eye. And those first four episodes, you could say that there was an overarching theme of Vision's eyes being opened. Are we going to see... Wanda's eyes being opened in this next batch of a few episodes. Oh shit! I didn't even. Wow. Yeah, I like that a lot, Joe. I think you're onto something there, and I think maybe that you know that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of this episode that it's in the widescreen format. It's not as authentic as it had been before. Is maybe she's starting to kind of like, you know, the walls coming down, and like whoever Vision is, is. Whoever this vision is, I still don't think it's a hundred percent vision. But I agree. It, he's been trying to get through to her. We know that that there are some good people at Sword, Monica Ram, Rambo, and then we know Jimmy Woo with the FBI. Um, they're trying. To, it, I, I would love for fucking aim to be outed eventually, and for Jimmy Woo to take over fucking fucking Sword. <laughs> That'd be the shit. That'd be awesome. <laughs> there was a huge petition today on social media for Jimmy Woo to get his own uh, spinoff television series. Oh yeah, um, I actually posted on Facebook. Somebody had uh, a lot of people have been proposing that show. They want to see kind of like a, a fun X Files type show set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, I, I, yeah, I could totally see that. Like, it, but uh, with him and Darcy, and I could yeah. s- definitely see that happening i mean we're going to be talking about another show that we're going to be getting um in the marvel news uh i just gave it away we we already talked about that show oh it was a great talk (laughs) if you guys aren't hip to this we record shit out of order but uh yeah yeah I'm the, the one. First who, time I, ever, it wasn't me. That it wasn't. It was me. I fucked it up. I fucked it up. <laughs> I fucked it up. This episode. Oh man! What you, uh, pulled the curtains back and showed all those mirrors in the gazebo. How badass! How badass was that scene with uh, her walking out of Westview? Oh, that was, that pretty, was fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, it was crazy oh, to me that they had to jump into their cars so they could drive three feet, though. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I liked how they did the effect, though, with, like, the barrier lighting up in red the way it did. I mean, it really felt like something ominous was about to happen. Yeah. And then just the way the whole effect worked with just seeing her silhouette and then she comes through. Um, I'm still not 100% sold that that was, that was Wanda. I think it was Wanda. Yeah, I think it maybe, was maybe she's being puppeted a bit, but it was still her. She's being puppeted a bit, but I think on on the flip side, she's whatever she knows that Sword knows what's going on, and because she pulled the body, and I think she knows. I think she knows that they were trying to use Vision as a weapon. I want to know like what Vision was actually doing in these episodes when he goes to work. He's doing all these computations and calculations and all this stuff. And he even references at one point, like, what do we do here? What yeah, do we do the very here? First episode. Yeah. So is, is he secretly working for sword and doesn't really know it? Or is he doing work for, for Wanda for her to keep up this kind of like whatever kind of life they have going on here in Westview? I don't know. That's a great, that's a great theory. Cause they definitely seem to, uh, 
point at the technology getting better each time we see him go to the office. So I think you're onto something there that the work is definitely doing something for somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, and we know that aim, not aim. We know that sword, somebody was using his body for something. And what were they trying to pull now? Are they they still trying to pull that within the simulation? I I mean, hmm, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to read one more email here that we got. And it's from uh, Stephen Farshad. And he says, I think, and Stephen Farshad from the Smorgasbord podcast, that's a Star Trek podcast, so check it out. I think the missing person Jimmy Woo was looking for is Martin Preston. He was an actor and at some point becomes a TV producer and eventually master pandemonium. I think he is the main villain for this series, but turns out just to be a Mephisto puppet. He may also be playing the role of Quicksilver to get closer to the soul fragments that he believes belong to him, and he needs to break free of Mephisto's grasp. Here's a little story on him. Martin Preston was born in Rutland, Vermont. He was originally an actor who lost an arm in a crash and made a pact with Mephisto to regain his limb. Master Pandemonium abducted and absorbed Thomas and William, the children of the Vision and the Scarlet Witch, who were actually two of the soul fragments he sought. He regained and replaced all five missing soul fragments, but then collapsed into a magical black hole within himself. Mephisto then appeared and revealed that the soul fragments sought by Master Pandemonium were actually portions of Mephisto's own fragmented essence, not Pandemonium's, as he had been led to believe by Mephisto. Having been spiritually fractured during a confrontation with Franklin Richards, Mephisto had used Pandemonium to seek out the missing fragments of his own soul rather than expend energy by searching himself. Master Pandemonium's appearance was changed to an inhuman form by the torments and suffered at the hands of Rakasha. With the assistance of his newfound ally, Pandemonium sought to capture the Scarlet Witch. The Scarlet Witch, with the help of Agatha Harkness and the Avengers, fought him off when Pandemonium finally succeeded in kidnapping the Scarlet Witch. Young Avengers members Wiccan and Speed, while searching for their mother, the Scarlet Witch, encountered Master Pandemonium in their mother's former home in Leonia, New Jersey, incorrectly stated to be in Creskel, New Jersey. He had reverted to a more human look and claimed to be in hiding due to the belief his schemes had helped precipitate the Scarlet Witch's breakdown. That comes from Stephen Farshad. Nice. A lot of interesting research. I hadn't even thought about Master Pandemonium. I hadn't either. I thought that it was going to be... Uh, I don't know. I don't... Jake, I don't know. I keep thinking... I kept thinking that... Um, I kept thinking that Vision's going to be Simon Williams. But maybe... Um, I don't, dude. I don't know at this point. I really don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm dying to get these next few episodes, and I'm glad that they're still doling them out one at a time. Everyone, I don't care what everyone fucking thinks about this fucking. Let's get, you know, all the episodes dropped at once. Bullshit. I hate that. Hey, I've been, I've been anti that bullshit since the beginning. <laughs> me so too. This, this is back to form for me. It's just I, I, such a better viewing experience with a show like this. It is. The week to week. I, people are just so impatient, impatient. And they just, oh, man, some of it is just the, the fun and uh, speculation from week to week. And I love where these episodes kind of like 
end. And uh, then we're left with with sometimes even more questions than answers. And I I, I, I fucking have been loving this show so much. I I uh, I will give this episode. I'll give it a high taste it. I and the only reason I'm giving it a high taste it is because I just I feel like they missed the boat on the '80s, man. I really do. And like that's what this show has done so fucking well. Is like really encapsulating like you know the 60s seven uh you know the 50s 60s and 70s and i feel like they dropped the ball here with uh with this 80s episode i agree with that i i just loved how authentic the first three episodes were and just unbending in their sitcom format um yeah they just didn't do it as well here it was just a lot of buzzwords and other stuff going on yeah yeah I wonder if that's just kind of the end of that. Like, I wonder if the 90s and and the aughts episodes are going to very much be the same, where we're going to drop familiar 90s and aughts things, but we're not really going to emulate those sitcoms to a T like like we did at first. Uh, I think uh, from what I can see uh, uh, in in some of the previews that have come out, it does seem like the they're going to be doing kind of like a Modern Family episode where Wanda's going to be talking like in a confessional. Oh yeah, yeah. That's kind of the trademark of of that era of sitcoms. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we'll get those confessional scenes. So, yeah, uh, we'll see. I hopefully hopefully the 90s will seem more true to the time. I don't know. I just it's it's a minor nitpick, but I just thought they just did so well on those first 3 that I I, I don't know. I just wasn't blown away. Yeah, they were consulting and having dinner with Dick Van Dyke. Like, they obviously weren't fucking having dinner with Ted Danson or fucking. <laughs> 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 they weren't doing any research here. That's for fucking sure. Yeah, and I wonder if this is going to start a trend. You know, like I had said earlier, that that we're going to see that device start taking a backseat to the, the expanding plot. Do we see, Do are we going to see Mephisto? Will we see Mephisto? I think we will. Like, yes. I, and, I, and I hope they go all out and we get him in red and everything. Who would you want to play? Or do you think they're, they've cast the actor or do you think they're going to do the Thanos route where we just see the character and they haven't cast the character yet? And we'll see the character cast uh, probably for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm, I hope it's I Willem think, Dafoe. I think that. I don't think they've cast it. I think it'll be much like the Thanos thing. I think we'll see the silhouette. We'll see the shape. We'll see the smoke. We'll see the red. We'll see the cape, potentially. But nothing that'll give away an actor that doesn't exist yet. Who would you cast, Dreamcast, and I don't care who you pick. It's just a dream casting here. But who would you cast as Mephisto? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with Willem Dafoe. Boom. He's that, the perfect looks for it. That dude, that was my guess right there. That was my choice. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to think of anything else now that you said Defoe. I think that's perfect. People have wanted him for as the Joker for years. This is even more of a sinister character than that. I think that's perfect. Yeah, and he's got the range to do everything with it because he can be perfectly charming, and I mean, just you know, the, the range that he did in the first Spider-Man movie. You know, he's, he's definitely got the chops to do it. He's a well-known actor. He hasn't been in the MCU yet. You know, I mean, he, for sure, no matter what. Some actors say in interviews, everybody wants to be part of something that's oh, well, huge. Look at look at what so. Ethan Hawke has backpedaled. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he's going to be the main villain in the Moon Knight series. What? Let me throw this out there as a dark horse. 
And let's say he can lose the accent, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I don't like it just because it's basically the same role that he played in Dark Tower and he fucking sucked at that. Oh, I still haven't seen that, so I'm going to take your word for that, dude. If he couldn't do Randall Flagg, he can't do Bisbisto. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's where I'm it's coming. It's the same from. character. All it's right. just they look different. It's it's the devil. I was just I was throwing it out there. I just was curious no, what I, you guys I, thought. I appreciate the idea, but uh, he just hammed it up way too much. I, I think Defoe pulls it off. It's still scary. McConaughey, you start laughing at him when he has that much bravado in a performance. <laughs> Those Willem Defoe, Willem DeFriend memes crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that meme is fantastic. <laughs> All right, that's all. Hey, guys, any final thoughts for WandaVision? I know I'm leaving stuff out. I know I'm leaving stuff out, guys. I'm do- I'm doing my best here. My notes are all I- my notes are all over the place for this fucking this episode. I just didn't. I mean, sometimes sometimes when I when I when I have to do like a whole show, Jake, and then when I and when I got WandaVision on top of it, man, like a lot of this stuff just gets lost in the mix, and I just kind of throw it out there, and it's not in order, and it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, WandaVision could be its own three-hour podcast in itself if we, if we let it be. <laughs> yeah. So it completely makes sense. Um, I'm yeah. really excited for next week as a final note, though. And next week seems like it's going to be the much-anticipated Halloween episode that they've kind of teased out a bunch. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We're nice. excited to see how that goes down. I've heard there's lots of dramatic stuff that happens on the Halloween night in Westview. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I cannot wait. Joe, where can people fucking find you, sir? Yeah, you can find me on StartCast, uh, coming back doing more long-form conversation. Uh, the show is super tangential. Uh, there's no subjects. We just talk, and whatever comes up, comes up. And then uh, also, number one comic books, you can go on and find our backlog of episodes, and hopefully we'll have some new ones coming out sometime here in 2021. We definitely will. We definitely will. We uh, 100%. We're coming back. I, I'm not, dude, I'm not even bullshitting. <laughs> yeah, can't wait, man. I have the most fun talking with with you and Rebecca and Rod and and I love how um you know if if you've never listened to the show, uh we have this amazing talent of taking a comic book no matter how serious and throwing cum jokes in. So, you know, there's an audience for us. Totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> oh, we do talk about cum a lot. <laughs> All right, guys, just like all good leftovers say in their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. See you. Later, y'all. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. By the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it toss it, good it Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Left over. And we're the uncool kids. 